0: Hmm.
1: Today's episode of the Live, Cure, Die podcast brought to you by Tactical Distributors. Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off all this great stuff. A reversible coat, sweet ass t shirt, and they just sent me these summer shorts. Oh my God. Can we get this out of here? We can't. So, these shorts, they're breathable. The boys, they're cool as hell. They're short. They're not too short. They're not too long. They're not Daisy Dukes. They're not Dirty Dukes. They're just right. So, Impossible 15 gets you 15% off. Flip-flops, bags, shirts, pants, everything you need. They got those panties. What are those, uh, the, the the tactical brief things? They're so comfortable, and your junk comes right out when you need to take a pee. Paula.
2: Did you get your hair done or something? You look different today.
1: Um, Yeah, so mistakes were made. Well well, uh, Jay. Yes, sir. Hey, buddy. Hey. So we're back again this week. Yep. Uh, had a good time. Tom's a cool guy, huh? Yep. And, yeah, he's and a cool guy. You're wearing a, an ugly shirt in his honor, I see. homage
2: to Tom, yep.
1: Yeah, you don't have pictures of his wife on there. I hope that'd be bad. Yeah, no, don't. no, no. no. Okay. Um, so, dude, we did get uh, lots of gifts this week. Yeah, I saw that. You are so, going through them. I know. So I have some here on the table. So this Seven Seas Brewing, Tacoma, Washington. I'd never heard of this because there's lots of craft beer. Um, they sent us, oh, you a hat? Check this. Ooh. I assume it's for me because it didn't say uh, J. Yeah. So, or Captain J <laughs> or Pilot J. It, it, right. so, so this guy sends us a whole bunch of the beer. Had some last night. It's delicious. So it's going to be my morning drink today. Um, so, shout out to this guy and that brewery. Thank you, guys. It's good. Well, you don't really drink unless it's Campari, so you, you would have no idea. Much. But trust me, it's pretty good. So, an unusual one that we got. So, uh, Med 7. So, I, I assume you're familiar with this because this is CBD products?
2: Yeah, I'm unfamiliar, but...
1: Uh, Yeah, okay. So... CBD products. So, this is a hangover recovery thing. So, we had some beers last night, so I'm going to try one. So, they have apparently uh, caffeine free and caffeinated versions. So, I don't know. I'm Who knows? Maybe this is just a five hour energy thing and they put CBD to yeah, sell so it to you weed heads. I don't know.
2: Probably there's vitamin B in there to make you all tingly and feel like you're doing something. What's wrong, Papa?
1: I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, I want you to try one because I'm not sure if that's supposed if it tastes like weed. <laughs> I don't. It's f- hemp.
3: You, hemp. Can you taste the hemp in that?
1: Hemp. It's hemp. Hemp. Uh, I, <laughs> it's an aftertaste. Are you sipping it? Well, I, there it is. I, I took a drink. I'm trying. I'm trying to provide a full experience in you, you If you fucking bear with me,
0: mm.
1: it's tolerable. It's not bad. If it gives me a lot of energy, I'm gonna be stoked about that. But thank you to these guys. I don't know. Maybe this is going to give me a heart attack in a minute, or I'm going to pass out from the weed. But it's, is it the same? It's <laughs> not the same people, is it? Uh, the oh, it is interesting. No, it's not mm-hmm. the same people. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, this is Seven C's. This is uh, Med Seven. Seems like maybe, be, but they're they're not. So we got that. So I appreciate it. That was a strange one that we got. Mm-hmm. CBD recovery products. Yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm an open minded individual. All right, so many other things we'll get into, Jake. But today, another special, special, special guest. Good friend of ours. He thinks the Air Force is stupid like me. Um, so That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> we need to fight. Those guys give us a ride. We, we appreciate, no. Yeah, I don't want to put words in my mouth. So, um, so a fraternity brother of uh, our buddy Tom from last week, Lou Goodman. Lou, buddy. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, brother. Yeah, Pre- appreciate the invite. Oh my God, it's so good to see you again. Um, so Jay, so you being in the Air Force probably don't know too many heroes. That is correct. But <laughs> John Chapman.
2: Uh, <laughs> John Chapman was the dude.
1: There you go. A true hero. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. So L- L- Lou Goodman, uh, he- he's a you know another brother from the South. So you know someone he can rely on, trust. Got a good constitution That's right here my man's a patriot <laughs> um served our country and just like uh, tom works in the industry now doing a lot of stuff um and i met well i guess lou we met um heck i don't i don't know
3: 2011
1: yeah. okay okay <laughs> so we met in 2011
3: Jake. january 2011 but uh you know, january i had heard all the stories before that you know but, because you'd work with,
1: with our guys pretty regularly. Oh, I thought you were going to say about Jay. I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> it no. was probably was in middle school. I though. was in
2: high school tearing it up. <laughs>
1: that probably means something different than me and you. <laughs> <I understand laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, so you you had heard about us. Sorry. Yeah. We've been working with uh, your group before that.
3: Yeah. That's right. Yeah. For mm-hmm. quite some time, actually.
1: Yeah. Um so, so we want to get some of those stories, but uh, okay. So you you've retired now from right. from the armed forces, and uh, y- you've got a, a training facility in where you're from, where your family's from, for like a thousand years in East Tennessee.
3: You know, not a thousand years, but at least a couple <laughs> hundred years. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, tucked away in the mountains there in East Tennessee, right outside Oak Ridge. You know, great. Um,
1: Oak Ridge boys.
3: Great area. God yeah, bless them. Great, great band too. Yeah. But uh no, it, it's a very private place and uh and, and you're right, it's home. Yeah. So, um that was just the right thing to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, after retirement was to bring the family and, and and get back home, you know. So it just made sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um your family, your wife's family is also from the same place.
3: That's right. Um you know, it's um Wartburg, Tennessee. It's an old German town. Yeah. So, um been there, you know, since early 1800s. Um some of the family members were there before that, so it's uh, they go way back.
1: They thought they all went to Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> They're in <laughs> East Tennessee. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, well, well, you've stayed in the industry too, because Jay, I don't know, and Lou, man, God bless you bringing this to me, so I get this great knife. So this is called, which you knew the name of it yes, already.
2: Sir, the G shock, G sock. I almost said G shock like the watch, but yeah, G-sock.
1: G sock, G G sock, not shock. Correct. And that stands for? Goodman Special Operations Combat Knife. So, Lou Goodman. So, this is a division of uh, Geisley, right?
3: Yes. Uh, Abraham and Moses. Uh, Bill named it after uh, his two sons. Um, I came on board, you know, when I retired in, in 16 and um, brought some of my designs. And uh, me and Bill had worked together. For a few years, and, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Bill, what a, what a great dude and a huge supporter of y'all's organization. Yeah, done a, a lot of good things.
3: Just a great patriot, man. Yeah. Um, and um, and we talked about it. He knew I was a custom knife maker, so um, it was just a natural progression. You know, hey, you want to you want to bring some of your your designs into into my new knife company? And I was like, yeah, why would I not? Yeah. You know. So I had only done uh, custom forging up until that point, so uh, it was very uh, it was enticing. To me, to to see some of the uh, the custom designs, you know, brought into into a production setting, especially with yeah, you know, the the machining prowess of of, of a company like uh, Bill's, you know.
1: Oh yeah, I mean his commitment to quality and and you know also being a huge supporter of special operations in the armed forces. What okay, so we're going to start from the beginning, your little childhood, <laughs> in, in in a minute, but with this, like well. Tell us about the knife. Like, what's special about this? And how'd you get started making knives? And did you make your own knives when when you were still in the military and in combat? You're using your own knife. Like, what happens?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I was a collector as a as a kid. We talked about that last night. You know, I had the had the case uh, through the through the '70s and the '80s. And and um, yeah, if
1: you're from the south and you, you're a kid that's about our age, you got case knives you got for Christmas every, and birthdays. You
3: got them in every drawer in the house, mm-hmm. and you know, now I, I don't. You know, I'm in the hundreds, so I don't know how many I have. But that got me interested in it, and then uh, you know, using knives in the military, um, you know, the scabbard, the sheath was always uh, uh, lacking. Of course, everybody always wanted a Randall, you know, oh, yeah. the coup de gras yeah. of uh, or the uh, the top shelf of knives. So um, the um, that just got me interested. You know, how can I use these blades? Um, how can I make them better? So I started making them myself. Of course, they were terrible. You know. So the first ones I made were terrible. So I sought out um, one of the top guys in the industry, uh, Ed Fowler from out in Wyoming. I went out and apprenticed with him. Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. What I time went, frame is this? Um, it was around 2007, 2008. Um, oh,
1: I, so you you just taken a a little break from y- you guys. Uh I just took getting my, after all the terrorists. Yeah,
3: yeah, And it was right in the middle of uh, in the height of the war, but you know they still gave us leave, so that's awesome. Yeah, I took leave, uh, sought him
1: out. I mean, that's probably so good for just mental health at that point too, because it's therapy. Listen, now. I mean, we talked about it all, already, you know, on um, leading up to this, but you guys that were in the military at at that level within special operations, nine eleven happens like that ten years is probably there's more experience and more to be gained in that time than, you know, maybe the 50 years previous. I mean, it's amazing. So during that, I mean, you guys are actually seeing lots of engagement, and then you come home you get some leave and you're going to go learn to make knives.
3: um, But, you know, as as with many things, you know, to me it was therapy. So I took the leave, I went out there. Um, I mean, he advanced me I know, a lifetime of knowledge, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's how that came about. Made some knives when we were deployed, you know. he had some leftover steel from something. We'd, you know, I'd be in the motor pool in Iraq grinding away on, on steel. I still have some, some of those knives. Some of them were pretty shabby, but some of them are still very uh, usable knives. Um, so just went down that road, went to the source, learned how to do differential hardening, or, um, uh, differential heat treatments, uh, multiple quenches, um, how how to make a knife a tool? You know, I mean, there is a lot of yeah. knives that are that are cutting utensils, but um, you know, in in extremist times, I needed something that would pry.
1: Yeah, because you, you mentioned it last night, but yeah, the idea you think knife, you think cutting, but you know, for a guy like you or somebody in the military that's got a fixed blade knife, like, what's the primary use for it?
3: Well, I mean, the primary use is still it's a cutting tool, but you can only carry so much stuff, you know, across your gear. As you've seen yeah. you know, uh, the evolution of all of our gear, so you're trying to narrow down how can I make um, how can I make something that will be you know multi-use, multifunctional, yeah. you know, the, the multi-tool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like to think of that in design of our products, and probably some of that came from. You know, also growing up with you guys and, you know, like sister organizations of, you know, how do you make one thing not compromise? But is it possible to do other things or make it as lightweight or, you know, specific as possible? But if you can make one thing, yes, serve several purposes and you're carrying less stuff, that's saving weight.
3: You know, you mentioned that 10-year window. Everything came down to how much weight am I carrying? Excuse me um how could i make stuff multifunctional i mean we, we were cutting the tags out of our pants i and, mean it, it's the pouches it's on the gear and you know you you only had limited space on those vests you know so yeah um kind of this idea um that i that i um uh, signed on with bill to do um you know he, he allowed me to bring my designs in to you know their machining prowess and we ended up with a with a great product, you know, a locking sheath.
1: Well, what all is special about this? Like, because you know, if you ask me about the fix or the honey badger, I can tell you, of course, everything why we did it the way we did. Like the nuances of this knife. Like what what's different about it? What's important? And what's all the stuff for?
3: Well, you know, you start with the tool itself. I mean, um, it's a, uh, a a differentially hardened knife, so you get um, you, you get a rockwell hardness of sixty on the cutting edge. 39, 37 to 39 in the center. So um, that's how you get that strong ductile core. So, it, so, it, so meaning
1: it's, it's, so you, you need the edge to be hard and yes. uh, where you can get, sharpen it and it's going right. to stay sharp, but you don't want it to be brittle.
3: Yeah, because, you know, a, a lot of your, um, uh, I never beat up any of our competitors or other blades, but I mean, a lot of your fixed blades, you know, they have no lateral prying capability because they're just totally hard totally Yeah, so if blade. you're prying with it, you can Break the It'll blade. Break every time. You know, you know, just like you showed me the little blade that's a screwdriver now. You know, <laughs> yeah. Not, how many of us have? Thanks how many of us have? Out. Yeah. How many of us have a pocket knife that's a screwdriver? Yeah. yeah you, it start you're prying, twisted with the tip. It in something, but. And then the sheath, you know, the locking features I was telling you about. You know, when you're you're parachuting, you're, you're halo, uh, you're riding four wheelers, you're on horseback, you're in and out of vehicles, you have it on a pack. You know, you get that locking feature. Um, that that locks the blade in there. Mm-hmm. You know. And it's ambidextrous, so you got you got the lefties that are gonna love it also.
1: I love that. Yeah, you made an interesting comment last night. You know, you can buy a two thousand dollar knife and it comes with like a two dollar sheath.
3: That's right.
1: And like I mean, for a lot of guys, I mean, number one, I'm incredibly appreciative. And I also feel like knowing that you're a knife maker and you make it to be a tool, and you gave me this, like I went ahead and stuck it right in the sheath, like I'm gonna use this. So I go to Africa in a couple months, like this is gonna cut some animals open. Um so it, I, cause to uh, inter- me a knife's a tool just just like a gun.
3: note on that, so uh, we were talking about buford Boone last night yeah, a buford. mutual friend of ours, yeah, so so the the unit guys at his retirement had bought um had uh, had had got me to make him a knife, a custom knife, so I hand forged it, oh and, yeah, and we went up to um uh Quantico to present it to him, you know he had his ceremony, I hand him the knife and the sheath, and I'm like, hey. You know, is this going to be a safe queen or a user? So I'm like, oh, for
1: Alabama redneck. If
3: it's going to be a user, you know, you gotta you gotta stick it in there. You know, so so he was he held it up and
1: and did the old,
3: I'm going to use it. So
1: that's exactly what yeah. I'm going to do uh, because it's you, awesome. you, you know we were talking and I've got some Striders and other things that I but you know, great knives. I yeah, love, I love oh, Striders. Yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. But um, you know, some of them are big and ridiculous. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that? This is a great size, but also you know, me knowing you. And you designing it, like, this is just going to be the knife that I use for hunting now. Um, but, yeah, the ability to pry. Because I think with my pocket knife, like, 9-11, I, I, I mean, you know how many things that screwed up and lives it ruined. But then just the basic stuff. Uh, like the threat of being arrested if you go through the airport with a pocket knife.
3: Well, they'll definitely arrest you if you bring that through. So make sure that goes in the check bag.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: But, you know, I used to carry a pocket knife for 20 years every day of my life, 9-11, and then I lose so many of them going through security or, you know, you get detained for having a – because, you know, you just forget because it's something you carry with you every day. But I think about what I do with that knife, and most of it is opening boxes – opening letters, That's right. prying something open to change the batteries. Like, it's just actually, you know, a utility piece that I carry with me all the time.
3: I mean, so the, some of the guys from Blade Magazine, you know, for all you knife guys out there, <clears throat> well, I was still active, actually, so it was kind of a weird thing to do, but, but I did it, you know, I, I didn't have my name attached to it, but I, I did an article for Blade. You know, what are the uses of the military knife? You know, I'm like, you're not stabbing people in, in the neck with it. You know you're cutting uh, ammo crates open you're prying the uh, the um, you know the metal retaining uh, uh, pins out you're uh, you're cutting your MRE box open you know you're you're forging through a drawer somewhere you're searching a vehicle with it uh, you know you're cutting the carpet out of a vehicle to to look for you know small items you may want to may want to retain or you're prying the, the glove box open you know and we came across all that you know yeah um, just like um, uh, we had the winkler hatchets you know, if you're familiar with Daniel Winkler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great dude, great knife maker. Um, we use those pretty substantially um, for different different things. But everything was a tool. And, and so, like, for that issue of blade, you know, they, they were thinking I was going to write this article on, you know, commandos using knives and I guess John sword. John Wick and people. I, or... I guess sword play, you know, and I'm like, that's just not reality. So Oh, my Lord. Yeah.
1: You know, that's interesting you bring that up because you think, And I think it's Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan. We were talking with you and your son Willard about it last night. And in that scene in the movie where, you know, they get in like a hand-to-hand situation, a German and one of the American soldiers, and it's the knife scene where... he's up in the tower. Mm. That is like the most... Oh, what what an incredible scene in that movie and how terrifying that would be. That's true. And yeah, I imagine just like, um, you know, we talk... Pistols, um, you know, somebody getting shot with a pistol in combat—not very common. And it's same not. thing, like with the knife situation, like that's a great scene in the movie, but yeah. clearly that's not.
2: I'm always wary of people that talk about I've killed more people with a knife than a gun. Or whatever. I'm like, why? Just shoot them. Like, who
1: does? Like, I don't. It, it's just not stuff. reality. You're right. Yeah. It's just not.
2: I mean, and even like what people expect, like you're saying, like movie scenes and stuff, what they expect with knives. And then you look at the courses that people can take and see how mostly like criminals are using them, how people actually use edged blades or edged weapons um, and pointed weapons. It's not theatrical, it's just pretty... Gnarly and yeah uh,
1: i mean whether we're talking about 9 11 or anything else if somebody had a knife like i'm picking up a chair or like well, anything to create yeah, space I'm, and you're definitely getting shot if i got a gun and you pull a knife i
3: think that's a great point that you made um you know the, the actual uh the knife court the knife fighting courses you can take or the techniques used uh, you have to be proficient at, th- at that you know it's a tool in the toolbox it's like driving or shooting or anything but um we talked about the, the use of a soldier or uh, uh, the instances of soldiers using knives in combat. It's very rare. It's documented. Yeah. There's been a couple in the Global War on Terror. Um, you know, I know of a couple guys that have actually had to defend their lives using their, their knife off of their kit because they could not uh, access their rifle or their pistol. But it's very rare. And um, But it's not very rare that the bad guy attacks you with a blade. That's right. very common, right? You know, if you look at the FBI statistics, you know, uh, say in the civilian world, I mean, that's pretty common. Yeah, you know, what's the old, uh, what's the old cliche? Uh, don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? I'm.
1: Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Because I'm, when I see yeah. a knife, or I watched uh, the YouTube guy watched with my son, donut operator, mm-hmm. who was he was in the Marines, I think I don't remember. I Thought
2: he was in the but, Navy or something. Oh
1: well, then he was a cop. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he reviews all these cop like uh, body cam footage and right. dash cam footage. And there was one the other day in L.A. A dude had a machete out on the street, and for whatever reason, now because of everything that's happened with you know George Floyd and cops since then. You know they're so opposed to like using lethal force. You know this guy's like on PCP or whatever. He's a big dude, like way bigger than me and you. And he's got a machete, and they're chasing him down, trying to tase him. And he just takes off after one of them. Mm. And the cop, you know, backtracks, starts running, stumbles and falls. And the guy with the machete, you see his uh, body cam footage. And fortunately, one of his buddies came around the corner and saw the guy about to hack him with this huge machete. I mean, the, the cop was dead, yeah. and his, his buddy lights him up with a pistol. I mean, split second, last second, and they show the body cam footage of the officer on the ground, and the guy is just above him, like, in the air with the machete, and he gets shot. And, like, be the most horrifying thing ever. Yeah, there's a... Um, he should he should have pulled that Glock, man, that taser. Well, Ooh, people don't it, realize. It's,
3: it's mind-boggling when when, you know... Uh, and, and much respect to our law enforcement officers. You know uh, what they have to deal with on a daily
1: basis. Yeah, what but a terrible I, time to be a cop. Now. You know,
3: what, I still I never understood that um, concept or that mind um, that concept that people think that um, you know you, you can't use deadly force. You should try to talk someone out of something. Oh, they I tried
1: know. for ten minutes with this guy. But this was also in Los Angeles, by the way. So,
3: but I mean, you know, just Not East Tennessee, just from the. Um, you know, just from speaking of like the global war on terror, seeing, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of different lethal scenarios. It, it all comes down to just a few seconds to save yourself, save your mates. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's just it's it's impossible to try to explain, you know, to, to someone who is, is saying, um, you know, could you just talk to him a little more? It has never or, been in that situation. Maybe you use a little lethal lethal force.
1: And you it could, just, and you know, they could accept it, or they could pull a machete out, and you're dead. And that's the In other thing, too.
2: What's the difference between why do people have this assumption that, oh, a gun is greater than the knife or whatever? Like, you're not... The person doesn't have a knife to just, like, tickle you or, or have fun the, with you.
1: The little part of my brain, I am far more afraid of someone, for me to you, wielding a machete than I am if you pull a pistol. There's a it's great... like, I think I'd rather be shot.
2: There's a great video of... Um, some guys testing that with sim rounds. Testing, I think it's like twenty-seven foot rule or something it's, like it's that. It's a close the distance drill, right? Yeah, exactly. 100%. And like eight out of ten times, the guy's getting poked before he can get his gun out, and it's all from like concealed, common concealed um, positions, I guess. Or, yeah. or that's, setups.
3: That's hundred percent right. And a lot of times, it comes down to training. Um, those drills are meant to show. <clears throat> I think we were talking about it earlier this morning. Why we do why we do certain drills, why we do certain scenarios in training. Um, it shows you h- what it really takes to to get your pistol out or right. to or to react to any situation. Uh, yeah, th- those drills are really good. Um, yeah. uh, I recommend those highly. And that's so, with a
2: guy that's expecting you. We're standing however far apart, and I'm expecting you to come at me. Yeah, and you, you're still. Yeah, you know still, it's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, you're still you, stabbing me before I can get my you gun. You don't
3: have the environmentals of being out with your family at the movies or the grocery store or uh, you know just your living your daily life. Right. You know, and. That adds a few seconds. So if you add, you know, seconds and seconds and seconds, you know, that equals, that could be the that yeah. could be the deciding factor and, it's and defending your life. You know,
1: yeah. Well, okay. So I want to, because we could just go on forever about all these things. But this, so this is offered through Geisley.
3: It is. United. That's correct.
1: Yeah. So um is this. The one model you guys offer or are you doing other models through them or what's what's um, we, going we on? We have
3: we have three other models uh offered through Abraham Moses uh and, and the Geisly, um you know um the Geisley website. Uh we have a f- um uh like a uh, um some smaller everyday carry knives, E D. C. Knives.
1: Mm-hmm. This is uh, probably the coolest one you brought me, right? Hi Jay. <laughs>
3: It's 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 the one um, that uh, uh, you know you you get the most performance out of it, and we call it a high-performance knife.
1: Ooh, it's just for me.
3: It it fits your hands. Big knife into small knife. That's why you have some of the features: the um, the rounded edges, nothing's nothing sharp. Uh, But the other knives that Abraham and Moses and Geisley offer um, are awesome knives. They're made out of D2 steel. This is a Um, PD1. What's the difference? Well, a, um, a PD one steel, um, we get it from Carpenter out of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, we're able to apply that heat treat or the um, the differential hardening I was telling you about uh, with a straight D two knife. Uh, th- those are uh, they go through a different heat treat system, which it's less time with hands on, so they're they're they're, they're a little more affordable for the guys that don't need that extreme amount of retention that uh, extreme amount
1: of all right. So it's just durability. like like so. uh titanium like silencer material. it's the same thing
3: as you were telling me yesterday you know between titanium and stainless and
1: yeah it's a, it's like how so yeah it's it's yeah we talked about it yesterday it's like how can we do it within our company to mass produce something that it is at a lower price point but offers what 99 percent of sure. people need well all right well let's let, let's back up so uh little lou goodman this
2: is where he's going to start talking about basketball a
1: lot. Basketball. Oh, love, love basketball. Tom and I. Yeah, we connected over basketball last week. Um, So I grew up in a city in the south, but I get it. You know, my my redneck cousins out in the country, <laughs> I spent time there. So I have an idea, you know, and also mm-hmm. having a farm that was in the same general area as where you are in East Tennessee, like the Appalachians continue down. That's where my farm was. Um. But so, little Lou Goodman, you're growing up there. Your family's been there 200 years. So, so what happens? How do you end up in the Army?
3: Well, I mean, in my family, we had a lot of military service. Um, and <clears throat> across the board, you know, I saw that in a lot of people that I knew that, uh, you know, you, you had that, that history and, and you wanted to serve. and and uh, But I was never forced into it, you know. I, I knew... I just felt that calling. That's what I wanted to do, you know. I think well, it was, You
1: think that's from, like, uh, did your dad serve? Uh,
3: my dad did. Um, I had five Granddad. five great uncles in World War II, uh, Korea. He was MIA in my, one of my uncles was in in Korea, uh, never came back, prisoner of war there, um, you know, all the way back to the Civil War, my, you know, second great-grandfather's, Revolutionary War, fifth great-grandfather's. So there was the history of the family there but but I never felt the pressure of uh I mean my father never pressured me my uncle, my any of my family members never pressured me up for but that this. But this was just
1: yeah. your family it it's you, you yeah. grow up all your uncles your dads your grandfathers sure. are all in the military
3: I I felt a calling for it like yeah. I, I I owed it to the to my country to serve um you know it's an all volunteer force and that and that's um you know that uh, that's fine um
1: well, What age did you know like you're playing with G.I. Joe's at uh, six years old, and you're like, I'm, yeah, I'm no, going to be a Green Beret. I so. was
3: probably 10, I guess. So. You know, As a lot of the guys that, that, that I ended up spending a lot of time with, you know, in the Rangers or at where I ended up, you know, for my last 14 years, um, a lot of those guys I, I see a similar background but yeah. also different backgrounds. But I, I think they knew at a certain time, you know, that that's what they wanted to do. They wanted, sure. they wanted to serve. Maybe not didn't know in what capacity that they yeah. might end up in, but, uh, but definitely, uh, that, that desire to be challenged. Um, there was, you know, it's not all, sa- um, you know, uh, sacrifice and all that. I mean, that's, that's part of it, but, uh, there is some, there is some meat no. stuff that comes in you want to be tested. You want to, um, you want to be with the best you want to, you know, there is some of that. Sure. that plays I, into I, that. I
1: mean, I, I, you know, along with everyone else, it's like grateful for, you know, and not just you guys at the most elite group, in my opinion, probably in the history of the world, but even well below that, everyone that, you know, offers to serve and be away from their family. You know, it's not – to me it's not all, oh, you, you could die. I mean, you can die driving to work. But That's right. But, like, the sacrifices that I've seen knowing a lot of you guys and working with you is the sacrifice from being away from your family. And for me at Chew. 47 with Chew. kids seems like the worst part.
3: That is, you know um – Um but um, it's a team effort, you know. Like we, I think yeah. we talked about that before. It's 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 the gu- it's the whole family. It's 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 the gun makers that supply the um, the weapons for your requirements. It's the um, uh, the truck drivers in the military. It's the food specialist. It's the yeah. guy that that gives you your ammo. I mean, um, you know, it'd be ridiculous to say you can do it all on your own. You just can't.
1: No, because I got an idea from you know the the group that you serve with. The last half of your career, or jeez, it was probably more than half. I guess about but three quarters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the support guys for every one guy, what awesome it takes. Guys. Yeah, um, were there any guys you were with in that organization that, as kids, knew that that's where they wanted to end up?
3: I think. I mean, I know so. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, there's a handful. Like I said, most most guys were that I worked with in the end were just super motivated. You know, uh, individuals. I hate to yeah. use the old A type, but they were just super motivated in every facet. Um, no, when
1: people ask me you know, about every
3: facet of everything they that they do or still do.
1: Yeah, I was right? going to say when people, you know, that at Q or wherever will ask me about, you know, y'all's organizations or, or you know, ones that are somewhat similar, and, and it's like such a small percent of the overall group, and like talking about, you know, individuals and that, it's like, well, All of them that that I've really worked with or friends with over the years, they would have been successful at anything. And it's just like that group of guys. And I think we all know them. You grew up with them. It's like, I mean, it wouldn't have mattered had you decided to be the best knife maker in the world, or you know, some of your teammates, you, you know, they end up being on like the Pro Bass Tour, or they race Baja One Thousand, yes. or they do ultra marathon, or they play in the NFL. You're not
3: making that up. That's, that's no; real. these are all guys <laughs> that
1: we know. So, so it's like, and if they don't play in the NFL, their two brothers do. That's And right. you know, it's just all these amazing things. Or they they hold the you know whatever the hundred mile record or the twenty four hour. Record for you know like run, can you imagine that Jay no. running a hundred no. miles no. and and he could run a hundred miles mm-hmm. and then run, run twenty five miles home yeah I'm all set like just exceptional I know individual who you're about. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was during your tenure so but where they would they would just be great at anything and and it's so amazing because you know a, a lot of the guys you know, over the couple years sort of going through retirement out of y'all's organization. And, you know, so a lot of times, you you know, they're here more. And so I see them more. And, you, you, you know, you get to be friends with everybody. And then it's like, oh, yeah, on the Pro Bass Tour. And it's like, what the heck? It's like, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, that's, you know, it's really my passion. And it's just, like, exceptional individuals. And and then it's it's like you never really think about it, but, yeah, that's who you should expect to be in these places. I mean, people that, you know, you guys that are, you know, that fraction of 1%. uh, Yeah, of course you're going to be good at almost anything you try. Um, It's been really, like, inspirational to me to see that part of it. And guys having you know great lives and careers post retirement and it's like yeah this was something they were great at and they're passionate about but you know too you and i being about the same age as you 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 know what you wanted at 20 and then you know you have a family and you do this thing and then what you want at 40 or 50 generally is going to be different but it uh I love seeing I love seeing your success or, or or Tom or any of the guys and I love the fact that a lot of you guys stay in the industry in some capacity cuz I know how um your organization and similar ones shaped my career and what I learned and you know we talked about it yesterday's or yesterday when when I think about competition whether it be silencers or guns or anything that we choose to work on how fortunate I was and what I learned and what, you know, Ethan and I, for instance, being heavily involved at the direct level, how it shaped the way we did things moving forward forever. Like the testing, the use, what's important. And, you know, because for me, you know, what do I do? I go and shoot a lot and I go hunting a bunch like you do now. And we're, we're both passionate about that, but there, it's not all, Carryover, but there's a lot of lessons I learned there that serve me when I go on a spot and stalk, or I go, you know, to Africa for two weeks, or I go out west and hunt for ten days. It's like a lot of the equipment, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do. There's always going to be, you know, part of the DNA of our company is always going to be serving you guys in what we learned there because you know I talked about it in previous podcasts where the millions of dollars spent testing our products and things that we would develop for you guys, I could have never have afforded, but I get the benefit of for the rest of my life, like being a part of that. Well, and it
3: trickles down to the the civilian world too, you know, um, the shooters that uh, they're out there and the hunters, um, you know, me being a civilian now, you know, I I reap the benefits of a lot of the stuff from the industry guys and, and the stuff that we did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a a great trickle-down effect.
1: And it is interesting seeing stuff that we were doing and that you guys had or were working on 15, yeah, 10, 15 years ago where it's still not even quite in the commercial market, but it's starting to get there. Right. You know, and to me, like something new comes out, you know, whether it be thermal night vision, optics, ammo, whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw that. 12 years ago when we were there and, and that's kind you know, and to me, I think I made the analogy yesterday about like NASA and all the things it, it, it's kind of, for me, you know, uh, your group is one of the ones that to me, sort of like NASA from a technology for small arms perspective, because we're able to fund this stuff because, you know, as a country we choose, we want a few guys to go and do this thing rather than dropping atomic bombs and leveling entire cities and so then although some of the stuff seems ridiculous the money that's put into this one little thing well it's way cheaper than all that stuff that you know going and dropping big bombs that's true. and we develop technology that is you know it may have taken us 50 years to get there without that that was another interesting part to me of the war in nine eleven and the the post 10 years that how um You know, it was just nonstop for you guys and the technology that was developed during that time. And we see it now and people like, oh, I love the Leopold Mark V, you you know, like a bunch of that new technology. Where'd that come from? You know, that's because we're actually fighting out there and we're trying not to drop bombs. We're trying to use small arms and small groups of guys to go and, you know, do things that we used to drop bombs on.
3: A lot of that came from the desire <clears throat> to uh, limit the collateral damage. You know, if you could, um, you know, if you could, if you could send in a small element of guys who are highly trained and they could do the job and nobody gets hurt. You know, except the people that need to get hurt. Why would you drop a bomb?
1: You yeah, it's it's sad for me to see, and I see it with um, law enforcement now. You know, with body cams and all that stuff, and not being there, and you see a snippet of something, and, like, you know, unfortunately, in in most things, like, there's going to be some collateral damage. But the idea of, oh, it's maybe one or two rather than 200,000, it seems acceptable to me. But now we have this mentality of all these people we talked about it earlier. It's like mandatory service would be great because we have this mentality of people. If anything goes sideways, like, some person or soldier or officer needs to be held responsible. And, you know, at least you guys had the benefit of, outrageous training where you know law enforcement like how many rounds are they shooting a year through a handgun and when we know not like enough like you do not tr- nearly enough yeah i keep doing this I get so excited when you guys are here but it, it, it's like handguns when we talked about that so they're even at your level there are so few guys that have shot someone with a handgun for instance that's right and But then the training that everyone does with a handgun and why, like, why is that important? Like if nobody's ever shooting anybody with a handgun, why are you guys shooting 50,000 rounds a year with handguns?
3: Well, I mean, and I've been asked that many times. Um,
1: It's a question I asked 15 years ago when I was there.
3: It's because uh, the handgun is such a perishable skill. Um, It's the eye-hand coordination. It's the the smaller uh, sight ratio. It's, you know, uh, if you can get on a rifle – and you're supported um, in in some way. I mean, your whole body is supporting a rifle. You have a lot. You have a bigger base. Mm. Or if you're you know you're mounting up on something, it's a lot easier Two to shoot a rifle. Two more points of
1: contact.
3: Two to four points of contact. Um, and you know the the second part of that is if you're pulling your pistol, you're in a you're in a shit sandwich. You know, so <laughs> yeah. you better be highly trained on it. Um, and, and in training law enforcement the last couple of years, um. They, uh, if you look at the stats, if you if you go to the FBI or if you go to your state law enforcement stats, the FBI keeps a really good compilation of all the shootings and why and and what happened and and the numbers, how many rounds fired, and stuff like that. Um, it boils down to training, man. Yeah. You know, if you're in a tense situation and you have a couple seconds to react, and you have on, it's muscle memory, you've only drawn your pistol and shot it. Uh, in the last six months, you know, fifty times, you're going to be behind the power curve when it when it when it counts. You know, yeah. So that's I, why we we put so much effort um, into the pistol because if it was time for it to come out, it, it you were you were in a bad way. You know?
1: You're in a bad way. And the way it was explained to me also it made a lot of sense to me when I asked this question because you know when I started spending time at Jaws group and just seeing the amount of like pistol shooting that was going on. And so, you know, then I start asking the questions of, well, you know why? It's like, well, and, and and I think this is what you said too. It's it's like basically, you know, shooting a rifle isn't incredibly difficult, but it's so much easier than a pistol you can get lazy. Very much. And with a pistol, like you start developing bad habits, it shows up quick. And so every good habit that you develop with a pistol – it's going to make you a better rifle shot. And that's, that's why like you shoot steel, but you always go back to paper because, you know, I saw it when we were out in Wyoming shooting, you know, like I don't shoot as much now here as I did when I was in Georgia, but I still shoot a fair amount. And it's like, you know, shooting a pistol some, but you know, I primarily train now to hunt like that's, and I take it seriously. So I want to be able to make good shots and, and, so I'm shooting, 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 but then I'll get the pistol and i shoot steel. But even shooting the steel, you know, you, you get lazy because all you got to do is hit the steel. Yeah. And so then you go back to paper and you take your time and you're pressing the trigger and well, make sure and, you're doing and, everything
3: right. And, and you know, and the, and the steel's not shooting back. Is it moving? You know, the, the if you can master, you're moving and the target's moving. I say, you, you know, you're moving across planet Earth. The target's moving across planet Earth and you can still hit it. You, no, you, you, you've gotten somewhere yeah you know, that's and that's what we strove. that's what we strived for you know um and and you're right you know your good pistol skills uh building your position you know all your fundamentals uh, you know uh, breathing aiming trigger squeeze side alignment follow through you know your basic fundamentals they all you're just making yourself a better rifle shooter which is your primary combat weapon anyway so yeah why wouldn't you shoot your pistol more
1: yeah, because to me, like shooting the pistol is like playing golf. Like, it is. 100%. It's tough. It is tough. It is tough. But, yeah, rifle, it's yeah, so much easier. Um, but, you know, I think about, too, when you talk about drawing from the holster, like, I, I, Yvonne and I go to an indoor range It's local here a fair amount. But, you know, like in the range, like most indoor ranges, like you're not allowed to draw from you're your not. holster. Not. So if you go there and you just have your pistols on the bench, you pick it up, you take your time, you shoot. Like, that's good. But yeah, if you if you're shooting a pistol, like I just enjoy shooting, so I probably do it way more for that than any defense scenario. Um but if you're not drawing it from your holster, like I don't know, yeah. you know, for me, like Yvonne has gotten super into hunting, so when we go and shoot with the rifle, it is all like you know, right. uh, just barrel your unsupported positions, awkward shooting positions, because you know like you you've been you to got Africa you too.
3: Build those. Un- you got to shoot from an unstable position because that's what's reality in the field. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I was yeah, say yeah. it's crazy
2: that we shoot on flat ranges. We, Anything, uh, because any time you're shooting outside of that flat range, it's not on a flat range. At, <laughs>
3: yeah, at my range, we don't even have a flat range. Yeah, we have. We the whole place is a range. It's, um, you know, it's just one rolling ton. You know, mountainous environment. So it, it just makes sense. I mean, we have a, we do have a flat range, you right. know, where you can check your zero and, right, right. and stuff like that. But yeah, once that's, that's over, we're off and running.
1: Yeah, you know? when we were just in Wyoming, we had actually a flat 1,000-yard, but we had targets to 2,000. And, you know, that's what I, I was so excited. Like We did a lot of work there, but, you know, I'm going to Africa again in August, so I have my two guns out there I'm taking. And so, you know, this is what I do. And, and then you tell me if you do something different. So I shoot paper at a hundred and, and I get my group, I get it dialed in as good as possible with the ammo that I'm going to use. And then I go every hundred meters beyond that to a thousand shooting steel and, right. you know, paint the target and that's good enough. But so I do that, you know, shooting from a bench or prone if possible to get the best dope and the best group I can and get bullets, you know, cause I, I use a, um, Litz, what's that? What's Applied Ballistics app? Right, as well. So it's a great one. Yeah, it's probably the best one. I mean, he's probably the best guy. But and it's great at predicting. But you know, if if you got a rifle, and you know, like mine, I'm taking a 16 inch 65 and Hornady 143 LDX, and so you can look at the box, or you get your own velocity, which I do, and you plug it in, and it gives you, you know, your dope to a thousand, but. Every t- but I still go and shoot still and I have never not had to make some adjustment. Yeah, it's
2: only well, ballpark.
3: You, yeah, I mean you're confirming it. You gotta confirm it. You true it, whatever yeah. whatever term you want to use. Um, you know, you got the devices that you can clamp on your gun and or you got the um you know, I don't want to name names, but you got that's portable you, you for, can your, name names. for your
1: velocity or we you, used lab radar, I think, Or you we. have like the
3: Ailer systems, you know. Not everybody can afford a thirty thousand dollar system in their backyard. Really? You know. But there's, (laughs) but there's portable devices as you, you know, you just strap onto the gun. I've tested them against the $50,000 systems and they're within a couple feet per second.
1: Yeah, If you're strapping it on the muzzle, it's good. Some of the systems you're talking about, we've got one too. It's like trying to get velocities even downrange and stuff, which is good. But you know what I was saying there? So what I do is I get paper at a hundred, still out to a thousand and I got all that confirmed And then I just, like in Wyoming, so we had the flat range, Thomas. Then we go up in the hills, and everything else is shooting at angles and, you know, weird shooting positions. And, And I have her do it. And, you know, sure enough, like the first thing that she, first big mammal she killed last year, it was, you know, like the week leading up to it, all we did was she shot in every, like, unusual position and you have, you have to do that and her first her first shot was was that way you know and um she made a great shot and yeah because I, I don't know sometimes you know how it is hunting i don't know maybe a quarter a third of the time you get to take your time and you know, you get, you get a broadside shot and you're able to take your time and get supported. But If you,
3: if you can wait long enough for that. A lot of times I, I can't wait. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I've got to
1: eat this thing tonight, so I, I need to get it down. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if you want a certain animal or something, you know, 75% of the time then or, or whatever, you, you don't have. You can't get as close as you want. You don't get the angle you want. You're not in a position that you wanna be, but you know, if you it, want it, you gotta make the shot.
3: But it goes back to what you said when we, you know segueing backwards, or whatever, about training. You know, if you if you've not trained to shoot those um uh, those awkward positions and then that affords itself to you, you know, you you don't have the confidence. I think you said it when we were talking. Yeah confidence it's about is confidence.
1: the best thing i can have
3: um you know for me shooting and, and and training is about having confidence it's not necessarily how many rounds i put down range it's about muscle memory it's about uh you know you, you briefly talked on you know uh, uh being at an indoor range where you can't draw your pistol But you can do that at home without any bullets in the gun. That's true.
2: Or with bullets in the gun if you're you're a little crazy. I'm just (laughs) I'm
3: I'm trying to be. You want to buy a new television? I'm trying to be the safety guru here. But uh, but yeah, you know uh, your your mag changes. You can uh, you know you can you can work that at home. Your your trigger squeeze. You know part of your fundamentals. You can work that with an unloaded firearm. you're, You're making money doing all that before you get. To, to um you know when, when that opportunity presents itself you know
1: yeah because so. i mean even hunting i've had just about i mean it couldn't be every scenario but just about every scenario where something can go wrong like i've had it hunting and yeah just the confidence and staying calm and knowing that you can you know you can remedy the situation and then put another shot on target
3: no no plan survives first contact
1: yeah is that that what mike tyson said (laughs) when he's like everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face
3: (laughs) it's similar to that yeah yeah, but but, but that's the military side no plan survives first contact
1: oh uh, yeah i mean it's 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 you plan
2: for everything and as soon as you're good to have a plan it goes different exactly it's
3: good to have a plan uh you know you got old number six in your hip pocket so if you're on the fly you can run old number six you know come in whooping and hollering you know from yeah. You know the blazing saddles. It's, yeah. it's it's funny. It's a funny term, th- <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, the uh, you know a plan only survives as long as um, uh, the powers that be uh, affect your plan. Yeah,
1: you it's it's going to plan. Yeah. Well, what? Um,
3: all right. Well, let's let's you got, sh- you got me through the childhood, and then yeah. we we'll uh, all, all right. So I was going
1: to say let, let's shift gears again. <laughs> all right. So so uh, you're in high school. You're done. What do you do?
3: Uh, brief, briefly touched on it. Um, you know, I went into the late-entry program in 1988. Uh, Reagan was still president, so that, that's been a while. Um, went active Jeez. duty. Yeah.
1: When active duty. That makes us feel old. Jesus. Went active duty. You made, ever even heard made, of uh, Reagan? Once or twice. <laughs> uh. okay. um,
3: but, you know, I was afforded that opportunity. Um, I knew what I wanted to do, so I signed up, you know, a year early. Well, Why did yeah. you pick the Army? Well, I mean, I wanted to be a ranger. Um,
1: okay so that was your goal you wanted you to be and an army tom.
3: ranger yeah tom airborne ranger yeah i mean that was like you know the childhood dream um you know you wanted to be and we briefly touched on i want to be tested and you're, you're going down the line you know you're um we're both kids of the 70s yeah early 80s um so i knew all the guys from vietnam they were uh, a lot of my hometown heroes uh, people i grew up with friends of my dad's um
1: yeah, even Marcus the, Luttrell, like, he tells the story. Like, that, his mentor was, you know, like, their neighbor or whatever who had sure. been in Vietnam, and that's who got – his brothers trained.
3: And I think a lot of times you see that's a factor. So, um, um, knew that I was going to do, you know, the Rangers, so I signed up uh, for that for the beginning. Did that, went to Fort Benning, Georgia, you know, probably the hottest place on earth <sighs> at the time that I – you know, until I was – spent, you know, a good portion of my life in the Middle East, of course, but – um, you know, they call it the armpit of the south, if you will, but uh no, it's a nice place. Uh in the winter. <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> That's uh, very hot. I
3: went there in August. Um <laughs> In know, August. Left left on my eighteenth birthday. So that was interesting. From Knoxville, Tennessee. rode a bus. That's before they put you on a plane. You had to ride a bus. So spent my time there, airborne school, you know, basic training, airborne school. Um, did all my young years in third in
1: range battalion. Well, how okay? You join the army. How long before you're in a Ranger Battalion? Uh,
3: you know, you do the pipeline. You do uh, basic training. You do advanced infantry training. All that's at Fort Benning. If if you've got that in your contract, you do um, you do airborne school. It's similar today. And then you do uh, uh, the Ranger indoctrination program, which is now called RASP, uh, Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. Which it's a really good uh, program. It's about twice the time that we did. Um, yeah, it was a 3 or 4 week program and you get you get selected if you pass that and and they send you out to the Ranger Battalions. So that's how I ended up uh, actually got to stay at Fort Benning uh in the 3rd Ranger Battalion. Okay, yeah. Yeah.
2: Did you did you do any deployments before you had a tab? Um
3: I, um nothing to combat, no. I was uh unfortunately or fortunately, how how you can look at that. Um for me, I looked at it as unfortunate. Um I was in I was in the Ranger Indoctrination Program uh, during the invasion of Panama. Oh yeah. So um oh, yeah. I was the first guy to show up. Lindsay after, too, yeah. Yeah. Well no Lindsay went into Panama. Yeah. Um so I showed up Oh, uh, you said we were in the same company together, Bravo oh, company. I remember that so Noriega. I showed up, you know, I'm like, Oh man, I just missed this opportunity, right? And that's you know it, it's now in, in and hindsight there, there
1: hadn't been a lot of conflict. It had ju-
3: been Grenada and
1: yes, yeah, so um, so that was a big deal because it, it went like ten years without really those guys doing a whole lot.
3: Yeah, yeah, close to that seven yeah. seven to eight years. Um, so um, I, I look back now, and you know they, they talk about survivor's guilt. You know you see that a lot with veterans now, um, whether it's through the post traumatic stress, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I don't call it a disorder i don't add the d because i don't think it's a disorder yeah. but you do have the survivor's guilt you know and, and i i look back now and i experienced that oh man i didn't get to go with the guys and right. and then um i was in uh third ranger battalion and, and i actually um i got out after four years had a break in service and then that my same company uh, you know, oh that, you did you got no, out after four I had, years i had a break yeah oh. And uh, so right after I got out, the same company I was in, you know, went to Somalia. So I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? So I look back now after, you know, 20-something, five, six years later, and and, and I realize what was going on with me there. You know, I spent about five and a half years out of the military, and then I went back in. in I didn't even know that. I did, yeah. Yeah, had a five and a half year break, um, and it was just – it was painful, you know, Right. it was that, um, it was that desire that you feel like you failed because you, know, you failed your mates. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's had a big part in and driving me back, back in, yeah, um, and,
1: Somalia, what a shit show.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was a watershed event, you know, that changed a, um, a lot of things of how we do business today. And, um, we learned a lot of lessons there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, lost a lot of good, good friends there. A lot of, a lot of guys that, uh, were, were, um, you know, in my platoon and that drove me, I think, um, uh, a 100% to, to come back in. Oh, that's know. what did. Yeah, I you think know, so. It um, is th- interesting. That desire to carry on, um, um, what they had sacrificed, you know, that, that started pulling at me again, like when I was a child, you know? Yeah. So, um, I reenlisted 99 and, and went back in and, and, there I was, you know.
1: You, ma- you married at the time? I was not. Oh, you
3: weren't? No, no, didn't marry till until uh, til way later. Um, it just se- didn't seem like the right thing to do because you knew you were, you know, yeah. after the after the guac kicked off and yeah. 01, I mean, we were, we've been deployed ever since.
2: Did you go it, back into Ranger Battalion?
3: I did, yeah. I, I went back. Uh, I were you able the, to
2: go right back in?
3: Well, that's a that's a story in and of itself. <laughs> so apparently at the time they didn't want people back in, right? Pre 911. Oh, yeah. Um it was um a very bizarre time to, you know, hey, um I used to be an airborne ranger. Can I can I do that again? Uh, unfortunately for me, I had a lot of people that were still active and coming, you know, up and through the ranks like my peer group were like master sergeants, E7s, master sergeants that many years later. So I um I just called those guys and and I did end up back in the rangers. Yeah, I, I went back into uh uh, 175 down in savannah yep. and was oh there. really yeah yeah that's how i got down there yeah oh i did i didn't I, know I, that i, I, I thought ha-
1: you went from benning to Bragg. no nope,
3: no nope, i did um i did a couple years down savannah uh, as a squad leader down in uh first ranger battalion oh that's
1: cool and, and then you got to experience both
3: yeah yeah i think it uh it, it broadened you know your uh um your different philosophies of inside the ranger Regiment itself yeah. Yeah, it was good to see that different different uh, mentality of, a, of another area
1: well i even think yeah. with some of these smaller conflicts which smaller that's not trying to belittle the loss or anything but you know whether it's somalia or panama or i mean w- w- whatever it is like we got this machine that is training all the time and you got right. you got to exercise it and the lessons that you would even learn in these you know these smaller engagements and, and how that really pays dividends um when we get in something like post 911 um do you, yeah, I think it's important. Do you think Somalia
2: for the military was like the North Hollywood shooting was for like SWAT teams and
1: stuff like Oh, it's interesting. That seems like a good way to put it.
3: Um it, it's similar in many ways, yeah. I mean, um yeah, crazy. It, from the bottom up, you know, what kit do we wear? Are we armored? Do we wear do we wear ballistic helmets? Do we wear uh, ballistic eyewear? Do we carry more mags? Do we carry our night vision all the time? There were so many lessons learned. Um, and then when I left First range Battalion in two thousand two, and uh, you know ended up at uh, Fort Bragg, you know at my place. so it was post
1: nine eleven, yes, yeah, because I think like Lindsey may have been like the first class before that or something. That's right.
3: Yeah. Um, but when I ended up, you know, up at Fort Bragg, uh, um, the um, you know, those lessons learned were uh, were being pushed at you every day. You know, they were they had already been imp- and even in the Rangers, they had been implemented so many years before uh, the lessons learned from you know the battle in Mogadishu uh, you know how much water do we carry how much ammo I think I already said that but um, all those were being pushed on you every day and every tactical scenario that you trained on you were living that so yeah you were definitely uh, we reap the benefits of, of that event and then um, and now we've added to that you know for the last you know almost 20 years. Right. I can't no. believe I'm saying that. I
1: know it is amazing. Um pretty, pretty yeah, amazing. I guess 2000 I hadn't even thought about 2001. It. So 2001. We're so at 20 years. Oh my lord. Like 2 or 3 months. Yeah, apparently the
2: drawdown is supposed to end on September 11th of this year, the 20th anniversary. That's right.
3: That's right. Which was implemented by the, you know, the current administration. I don't know if that's a jab or if that's a good thing. Right. I'll yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> my I, good my good friend uh uh, Scott Miller's over there running that, so I can't. I, I'm sure it'll be um, it'll be done by the book, very appropriately. And I know it is. You can follow it and watch what's going on.
1: Yeah. I, I can't believe. I mean, because I, I, I mean that for our generation, that's where you know that's the JFK shooting. Like everyone knows where they were when that happened. No and I know I know exactly. You know. Me getting to live this life of luxury, you know, thanks to dudes that that actually sacrifice. I mean, I'm like at my breakfast spot in the morning, getting me a like a smoothie and a banana, and it's on it's on TV and there, like on my way to work that morning. Yeah, you know, and I just sat. I remember I sat and um, they had a little lounge area in this little, you know, kind of yuppie <laughs> breakfast place, and I sat in a leather chair and watched, you know television watched this for probably till like two o'clock in the afternoon didn't even go into work um yeah, yeah it's, it's 20 years jesus we, we
3: um i lived off post on it in the range battalion down there with some, with another nco and and i mean, I remember like it was yesterday you no know, we, we we weren't working that day we had a late work call because we'd done something all night long yeah so we're all standing around drinking coffee you know trying to convince ourselves we need to get back in there and and uh And start working. That's the motivation. Yeah. So we're standing around and, and, you know, and and it happened and we were just like, wow. You know, um, we just looked at each other and we're like, excuse me, still hits home. Um, You know, this is going to change everything for us right now. You know, we were just talking amongst ourselves, you know, and we were like, this is going to change our lives, you know. Yeah. And we knew. I mean, and then, you know, (laughs) we better get into work. It's time to.
1: I mean, and not only soldiers, but you think about, you know, every liberal asshole that's against everything that, you know, you and I would believe in, let's say. And it's like, but they still, we got TSA every time they want to fly somewhere, they're still taking their shoes off. You know, like it changed everyone's lives in this country. And, And that makes me sick. I hate it. I mean, that's where they won you know, that's true. in the end. And, and that's, that's an idea of our response. You know, we had some appropriate responses like, okay, we identify all these terrorists. Let's go kill them. That's great. But then the, you know, this is one thing with our country where it's to me, sometimes the overcorrection of some of this stuff, because to, sure. to me, I think where they won ultimately until like us as a culture really decide to just change this, they took some of our freedom away no doubt. that day, just because of you know using airplanes and now how much harder it is and you know um the difficulty of air travel now for everyone just as a result of that and and that makes me sick and I hate it
3: well they put that um uh, you know it's it's the it's the number one thing that a terrorist wants to do you know they they put fear in us as a, as a as a nation um yeah. and now it's it, it's almost become part of our culture. That you know we have that fear instilled into us. Oh, they're going to do something to us. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, and, and as anything? a society, we it, don't. You know, it changes it's, the way you just react to to um, things on a day to day basis. You know, and, and that's the whole point of that. Um, I was a whole and whole agreement with um, you know that movement at the time to continue
1: on with your lives and, and don't let see, them win. see that. That's my do that. point. It is do that. like when we yeah. talk about collateral damage, shit is going to happen. You know, whether it's, um, you know, every DOD asset that we've got. um, Shit's going to happen. Like, it's just going to happen. I mean, especially a nation this big, this many people, this vast geographically. We can't. There's going to be stuff happen. And, you know, you just can't. I I hate the idea. You know, whether it's COVID or it's that. Like, oh. Oh. If we care about each other, we have to let the government make all these new rules right. for us. Like, yeah, no, we don't. We don't. Let's just learn from it and move on. Yeah. And you see it. Like, one thing I am proud of, we talked about earlier, it's like after nine eleven, and these guys with box cutters are able to do what they did. And now you stand up and try to kick the door on a cockpit and God bless America. We got people... You know, moms, dads, and the one we we're talking about happened last yeah, week. Just
3: a couple of days ago.
1: Every American, because you saw in that too, it was a very diverse group of people that jumped that dude. That's right. And it's like all of a sudden, just like in the military, we're all Americans. Like, forget the rest of this stuff. Y- yeah, you try to jump up with a box cutter now and take a plane over, see what happens. Like, y- y- you land dead, and that that's great. And that's the for me the way it should happen. Like, we don't need the government necessarily constantly at a micro level telling us what to do. That's like, right. Yeah,
3: okay. I just don't think it's the function of government either, you know, Shouldn't to, take, be. to take care of us in every yeah. aspect. I mean, I agree with, you know, helping your fellow man, but in every aspect of our lives, I just don't think it's their job or their function to well, to take care of us. And I'll leave it at that.
1: Well, absolutely <laughs> not. And I know you being from East Tennessee, yeah, a, a family and a community can take care of itself. 100%. Like, I you agree know, with that. We'll let the police come and do the report. Um, but, yeah, I don't need the federal government Yeah, telling us w- what to do with our little town and taking care of each other. Well, like, in the end, I still believe, no matter what happens, that most people, most Americans are pretty good, decent people, and they're going to help each other no, out. I believe, I believe that. And I don't need I mean, the, the government mandating it.
3: Yeah, um, and you see that across the board. When it really matters, you know, Americans are gonna, uh, for the most part, are are gonna help each other out most of the time. Doesn't make good news though. Doesn't it, make good that news. That doesn't sell. That doesn't sell. You know, commercials um, and stuff ads. on 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 YouTube and and all the different Oof. scary things that are out there where they, you know, it's they. Getting
1: deep. My blood pressure's going <laughs> up. I'm getting pissed gotta off. Gotta reel this back. Wanna little use little. this knife, Jay? Hell oh. yeah.
2: I'd like to watch it.
1: Oh, I, I, You're going to watch it. I'm going to gut some animals and pry some boxes open. That's what's going to happen with this. And I'm going to be so excited. I'm going to thank my buddy Lou every time it. I do it. you got to use it. Oh, man. it's going it's to be used. There's going to be some blood on it. So, another. Another great friend of ours that sent me some stuff and i know you're going to be jealous which leads me to this question Ooh. so who made this stuff i that'd know be, you know.
2: that'd be our buddy mike from kilo tactical little
1: sweet mike from yes, kilo sir. tactical and this is the rhodesian i was you gonna say the, that's you know, some rhodesian pattern yeah, yeah. so um This is incredible, and I can't wait to go back to Africa. Now, my buddy Guy, who you know, Chez, buggers. Mm. um,
3: There's no way you're making it back from Africa with that. You know they're going to keep that. Oh, he will definitely (laughs) keep this, because
1: he doesn't even call Zimbabwe now. It's like, you say Zimbabwe, he looks at you like you're speaking another language. Rhodesia. So, I imagine that I will lose this one, just like the last one. Um, I imagine my old buddy Guy, or PH over there, is going to end up keeping it. And I'd be honored for him to have it. I mean, he was a Rhodesian soldier, and... um, that's I believe, cool.
2: I believe that is the Citadel. That's their own. It's not another company's bag. They did all the cut and sew, and that's their
1: own thing. It's probably what it cost a fortune.
3: When I when I was over there on my Africa hunt down in South Africa, my, our host uh, was a Rhodesian guy from back in the day. So
1: <gasps> Was he awesome and hilarious and he, had great stories? He, he was awesome. <sighs> yeah, I, I had the greatest time. The stories, Unbelievable. They're, they're the first stories that rivaled stories from your organization that yes. i've heard yeah. um hey thomas we, we need to fix our uh ranga. ronga yeah. oh but but that said appreciate everybody sending in stuff for the podcast room that one has some creepy stuff oh but you it's got pretty some cool. slings in there too i see yeah, well, i'm getting to oh, it. all right were, all right cart and horse I'm mother sorry. trucker sorry. <laughs> um yeah so now jay made me lose my train of thought but we got this sweet backpack and um man those those are some good stories from those rhodesian soldiers that are probably 10 to 15 years older than us some good stuff so anyway yeah also kilo tactical doing some sweet i don't know what is this like it's like arctic mossy oak or something i don't even know what that is real tree mossy oak something like that That's
3: that's for being on the tundra Little, you know, you got a little bit of yeah I mossy think, oak and a lot of <laughs> white stuff.
1: Yeah, I think I think this is uh, Mike's little uh, fashion sense and inspiration bleeding yeah. into her stuff. This one though, I like this camera. What is this? It looks like frog skin. It looks like the original frog
2: skin, not the the aired one or the tan one, but I can't tell.
1: I don't know. You recognize this? No. no it's before your time. This is some. I don't know. Probably some World War Two yeah Marine stuff or something Pacific somewhere. The the colors are the same
3: as the uh, you know the cookie um
2: or the frog. I think you mentioned it. Yeah, the Uh, the World War Two yeah the World War Two stuff. Yeah, different pattern, but the colors are reminiscent of that. I know what it is, and it's not frog skin, but I can't think of it right now. It's something leaf, something something leaf.
1: So this leads me to this, you know. Well, camo, it pretty much stayed the same, I guess, since, like, Vietnam, Woodland until, I I don't know. You had the the
3: pickle suits, you know, in Vietnam. What does that
1: mean? That's just the green.
3: The green, the OG 107. Yeah, those are cool. I still wear them.
1: Yeah. But so then it's Woodland. And and when did you, what year did you switch from Woodland camo in your military service?
3: Let's see, so late 80s in the Rangers, right before I got there, they were still in the in the, in the OG 107s, one of the last units to, to have that. What What is that?
1: The green. The, the green. green. Oh, the just pocket. the green. Yeah, just the green. Oh, really? Yeah, in the, the late 80s?
3: The rip oh. stop. Yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, I like that. It's um, nice. And then we went to the, uh, you know, you had a desert pattern, and you mm-hmm. had a woodland pattern. Uh, Oh, that that
1: was like the five or the chocolate chip or the chocolate
3: chip was first. And then it switched to uh, like a three, a tricolor desert. D.C.U. Uh, You know, we learned the lesson from World War Two and on that you needed and you needed different types of camouflage for different areas. Of course, the army did not learn that when they went with the blue camouflage, you know, later on.
2: Um, no one ever claimed they were the smartest branch and yeah in the world. Uh,
3: that was blue um i, I don't care that what it ACU was cu- stuff yeah the a c u um but uh you know one camouflage for everything, but you know the rangers we never we never adopted the one camo for everything and at the unit we definitely didn't um we stopped wearing woodland and went to a new pattern in probably oh four oh five
1: yeah yeah uh, that's that's what I was thinking it's probably the first time I ever saw it. I wasn't into it. What I was getting at, though, is um, for the generation younger than us, these guys, Jay, camo dating back from its origins now is, like, super fashionable, and it's so trendy and cool. So, Rhodesian, which I love Rhodesian camo. It looks cool. Yeah, it looks like, to cool. me, I just look at it, and I'm like, would I wear that hunting? Right. And, you know, if it doesn't have some purple in it or it's blue or something weird, then I'm like, yeah, so that that's cool. So that was uh, my first question for you here, because it's become, it's interesting for me that these kids, and I don't know, it's probably Call of Duty again. I don't know what causes it, but Camo is th- these guys are super queer for it now, and it's mm-hmm. like there's a flavor of the month almost. It's yeah. like multicam black. It's yeah. Rhodesian. The it's frog skin.
2: The desert night Camo from the '90s came back. That recently. is cool. It's, it's oh. like my favorite.
1: Oh, that's this the bag I got for Aiden. It's got the night on one side and then the desert on the inside. Is yeah, that the yeah, one?
2: it's the green. It's like a grid pattern. Almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah, even that. He's so got the cool. pants. I've seen him wear the pants. Yeah. What's Save your f- and we got those
1: in a military yeah. surplus. Favorite camo.
3: Man, that is. We got. Are we going to do an hour on this? Uh, that's <laughs> no. It's got to be quick. Deep, it's a speed right. round. Okay. Here so, we go. so, so, favorite fav- camo for hunting. Favorite camo for hunting. It uh, depends on where I'm at. <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> so I want to match my camo to the terrain. Yep. So um, I use a lot of the Cryptex stuff. Oh yeah, yeah um, good stuff. Um, because they have the, the the different patterns. So I like a company that does that. Um, but I would, you know. Um, you got to match the pattern to the environment woodland is making a comeback as you well know mm-hmm. and then forever nobody wanted woodland but oh yeah it was because oh, yeah, it's
1: vietnam up until like 1990 yeah,
3: and then you had the multi-cam stuff coming out and all the all the crazy um, variations of that multi-cam works very good in the desert i've had aircraft in afghanistan fly right over us there'll be 20 of us on the ground broad daylight
1: don't even see it.
3: Don't even see us, and you have to pop smoke, to bring them back, which rarely we did because we didn't want to attract attention. But yeah, you really want to get on that bird. So <laughs> yeah, guys, come back. They're not seeing the orange. I mean, that's a them.
1: testimony to multicam for that. Mm. Well, okay, so cryptech for hunting, and, and and so you get into it too. So match, pattern, Pacific, match your
3: environment with with the pattern and whatever pattern that is. For me. i um I test a lot of camo um, across across the, the planet, but mainly in North America and Alaska. And um, I, I like I like a company that produces uh, the different variations, but in the same cut. Yeah. So I'm not reaching for different stuff in different pockets all the time. Okay, yes, so I that's agree why I, that's that. why I like Cryptek. Um, I Crypt- can get that same pant that's in got the all the patterns. all the pockets that I want in the right spot, in different patterns. Well,
1: okay, I'm gonna simplify this a little bit. Let's say. I invite you on a hunt in September in North America, and that's the only details I give you. You're packing one camo. What is it?
3: I'm gonna pack. Um, I'm gonna pack my favorite cut of pants because I like the pockets, and that would be a, um, a Highlander, a Highlander pattern on, on critter. Okay. Yep. Fair so enough. Overall, I'm- that pattern works well in the high mountain deserts. I've used it down uh, in lower Alabama, L.A., for mm. all the naysayers. The um, L.A., shout out. L.A., I. lower Alabama. Um, yeah, I've used it in Texas. Uh, I've used it in Alaska, Maine, bear hunts.
1: Bow or rifle hunting? What do you prefer?
3: Rifle. Rifle? Yeah? yeah, really? Really. Yes, I do. But on on the flip side of that, if you don't have a bow, you're
1: crazy. There's you something know. intimate about it, bow it, hunting. It's...
3: Um, um, if, if 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 you've never shot a recurve,
1: oh, well that's a whole nother level.
3: It's um, it's like you know you brought up Fred Bear. I've got a I've got a um, full size, Fred Bear LP, with the with the artwork, the cover, and it's just him sitting around talking with the interviewer about his bow hunts and his philosophy of uh, of bow hunting, and it's just amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was he, recorded in like seventy one or seventy two, something like that.
1: What I mean, he he was pretty much like an alien. I mean, he was just so far advanced. And, you know, I got a buddy that, now, Recurve, which is crazy to me, but he hunts with a longbow. Right. Mm-hmm. And he and I went on a hunt within the last year. And, yeah, he shot an animal with a longbow.
2: Is it Tread Barda? No. Okay.
1: Um, so, shout out to my man, Adam, Silverback Crew. Huge power lifter, bodybuilder, strongman yeah. competitor. Um, so, it makes sense he can pull. Well, you know, I don't know what he's pulling. Probably 110 pounds. Well, you know, it's, with a
3: recurve or longbow, there's no, there's no let off. You know, there's yeah.
1: no Once you break the,
3: the plane, you can't just hold it forever. You know, it's your, your Well, whole, I can say he, whole body's holding it. He
1: holds it about 10 seconds longer than I can. But uh, yeah, it's the first experience I'd ever been with someone where they actually were successful with a longbow on an animal. Oh, it was pretty cool. But not me. I don't have the time, patience, or muscles. Uh, what is this favorite animal to hunt? I get asked that all the time. That's that's a tough one for me,
3: man. That's a tough one. you know, You're right?
1: Especially after, uh, like the next one's always my answer, <laughs>
3: especially after the going to Africa and, yeah. and seeing that. I never dreamed I would get to go over there, but uh, favorite animal to hunt? This is this may be um, way off base of what you think. I might say, but, um, I love hunting squirrel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it I mean, is it is difficult i mean, it is it annoying Look, and a pain in the I ass i love hunting
3: squirrel with a 22 pistol
1: oh p- oh yeah that, iron, that's iron sights my might as well be shooting a bow right there that that's difficult squirrel hunting is aggravating i enjoy it too with 22 i've shot some with a pistol most with a rifle the majority though with a 20 gauge or a 410 yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> when i was a kid you know it was all 410 your single action breakdown h&r yeah you know, you used to get them at Sears and Roebuck. You know, when that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and and then we we moved up into the advanced into the 22s, which uh, was was quite challenging yeah. uh, versus a shotgun. But uh, but big game man, I, I love chasing the elk. I yeah. like being out west, Colorado. We go every year. I've been down to New Mexico, <clears throat> fortunately a couple times and have been successful.
1: Oh, nice. And we
3: chase them on public land. Yeah, self-guided. I mean that's
1: real hunting it's it's
3: fun I mean, w- 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 to w- me w- that's the ultimate big game hunt for elk when you're out there you're on your own you have no idea, no preconception of, yeah it's not uh, your own of land. Of where they're at yeah. um that's 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 uh, the ultimate challenge i
1: think yeah i mean i I think there's so many elements to elk in you know one great thing is they live in an area where you can glass a long way often. And, you know, that's
3: uh, until they go into the
1: deep hardwoods. That's the fun <laughs> part. But, um, you know, where we're from there, there's just not areas like that. Like you're, you, you're lucky you get to shoot a hundred yards at something. It's like here. Yeah. Here. I mean, this is the same area. I mean, the Appalachians, oh, yeah, is yeah. just, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's, yeah, I mean it's dense timber forest. There's stuff everywhere you can't see or shoot far on the hills. I, that's what
3: I meant into the timber. There's not, not a lot of not a lot of hardwood forest where they hide, but yeah, a but of, a lot of heavy heavy timbered forest.
1: Yeah, going out west and it's it's like there's a lot more open, but the the fact that they bugle, they're so beautiful, they're massive, which is interesting to me. And then yeah, you know you start calling or listening for them to call, and then going after them and. I'll, and then you know sometimes you get to make a seven hundred yard shot, but then other times you got a fifty yard shot because you got to go in the timber because it's it's during the rut and so they're chasing you know the hinds and the or the cows and you got to get in there where they are.
3: I've glassed and glassed and glassed for years for elk. You know you go out early in the morning, you find the open area. You're either on horseback or you're on foot. You find that perfect spot. You know you walk an hour and a half in from camp. You set up. You know, 4.30, you wait till that sunrise, you see all the dots in the open area, and, of course, then they're gone. Yep. As soon yep. as you're ready to shoot, you know, most of the time for me. And then you yeah. chase them into the timber Yeah, they're all not day. dumb. Yeah. I, I mean, all almost all the elk that I've killed I've shot offhand. Really? Less than 100 yards. That's in the in, timber. In the heavy timber.
1: Yeah, because it's interesting. You start calling in the timber, and it's amazing. Like, you don't realize how giant an elk is until you're in the timber and you're calling them and one comes running in and it's 20 yards from you. Like, that's a massive animal. Yeah, and that bugle
3: will, like, raise the hair on your on your neck, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a wonderful thing. If people haven't experienced that, that's a that's a hunt that I think is a must. I agree with you. All right. Favorite optic for long range. All right, Lou Goodman, Whoa. Super Sniper School. Somebody's setting up there wanting to shoot long range. What kind of optic we putting on this thing?
3: Well, they probably wouldn't be calling me for a sniper, <laughs> even though I love to shoot long range. I, I, I would, I would probably give them the phone number of some of my buddies. Yeah, because that, that is hard to teach, man. Yeah. So um, I stick with the pistol and the, the, the carbine uh, distances. But yeah, um, man, without, without uh, hurting all my buddies in the industry, I mean, I, we were talking about there are a lot of it, great it's, optics it's out there. Uh, it's been a watershed, you know, of, of events that um, I, I hate to fall back on uh, a couple of the conversations we had. You know, what's come out of the 20 years of sustained conflict? Well, well we've got a lot of good we glass. We don't have
1: the Mark IV 10 power with a mill dot, yeah, which was down. there for 20 yeah. years.
3: Um, we have a lot of good glass. We have a lot of good equipment. We have a lot of good. Uh, camouflage choices that's right um, i mean everything you're asking we, we have a lot we have a plethora of that that's yep. out there available uh to your to your average civilian who's a, a shootist or a hunter or a, um an all-around outdoorsman you know um that's a tough question man i mean um i run everything on my ars from you know uh, uh unpowered op you know one power red dots um all the you know the uh, different companies are out there the Eotecs, the Aimpoints the uh, um um uh, what's the what's the miniature one t- um uh,
0: the T1
2: uh, T2 um, the T1 or the, the Trigicon yes. oh, thermals so the RMRs, yeah, delta point pro
3: yeah, yeah the delta point pros RMRs I, I've re- you know we dived into uh uh putting them on our pistols you know that's the that's the yeah. popular thing
2: um,
1: and I use them all too. And I mean, you, you're nicer than me and, and I don't mind calling people out, but when it yeah. comes to optics, uh, like there's five or six brands that I will use. And, yeah. and like right now,
3: I'm a fan of leopold
1: Yeah. Leupold. Um, shout out to them. They just, they sent me some, the new Delta point pros and I had one from way back in the day mm-hmm. that I've used, but they yeah. sent me some new ones and that's like what I've got on my honey badger right now. Sure. And, um, You know, I I, we were out there. Avon and I did a bunch of like the unknown distance shooting and stuff, and then you know, and like getting her proficient with you know ranging targets quickly and making shots. But then we end up shooting with a Delta Point Pro on our honey badgers, you know, two hundred meters with subsonic ammo, and that's so fun. So I mean, you can do whatever, but yeah, I've got that on there now, and I generally hunt with Swarovski, and I love their optics, and they hook me up some, but I buy a lot of their stuff too. But a uh, little sent me one of their new, yeah, the Mark 5s. well, it's not even that new anymore, but yeah, it's like 3.6 to 18 mm-hmm. Mark five. Mm-hmm. And I love that because for a long time I was really biased. towards a little It's what I learned like sh- long range shooting on was the, the, it's a Mark six, I guess the three to 18 yep. with the Horace H 58 and then H 59 reticle. I'm a, fa-
3: I'm a fan of the 59.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I love it. But you know, like right now my two hunting rifles, I've got a Swarovski, um, I've got actually the Z8I one to eight on right. one gun with a sixteen-inch barrel, and then I've got the yeah, the Mark V from Lopal. That's what my current Is setups are.
3: I like the Swarovskis.
1: Well, that that's a Mark Six, and oh, that's yeah, like an yeah. older one. With yeah. I don't like that that turret, the pinch system. I don't like yeah. which I think they've changed. Yeah, that but,
3: looks like the that's a three to eighteen, right? The short mm-hmm. short wheelbase, so to speak. Yeah. yeah,
1: so that's an yeah. incredible scope. I've used that a yeah. ton. I love those. Yeah, the
3: clarity in those is unbelievable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was like the first scope here in the US mm-hmm. where and mm-hmm. that's, you know, thanks to your organization working with them, we got like way better glass yeah. and optics. I like
3: the 1 to 8s that have become uh, very popular for your AR hunters. I like the 1 to 6s. Leupold makes those uh Vortex. It's amazing
1: how far you can shoot with a 1 to 8.
3: It, it is amazing. Um the um, the uh Razor line yeah. I Vortex got a one to ten is, recently. Is, I like it a lot. Super. Mm-hmm. Um, even their um um I run a lot of their I guess the PST. It's an older is that yeah. right? Is that yeah. of yeah, like line? The Viper PST. I don't know. yeah, the, the, the Vipers. It's, yeah. it's 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 the grade below oh, okay. the razor yeah. line. I've got one to sixes on some training guns that uh that work really good and that, those don't break the bank, you know. Um yeah. but I'm I'm still a believer in, you know, if, if your glass is three times the cost of the gun you're probably doing really good. Yeah. You can see really well. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I try not to make it a a money thing when I make my decisions, it has to be performance. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Swarovskis, um, I really like their glass. I think we were talking about the, the super pinpoint stuff that you find on the night force. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of groups have been shot when we did a lot of our testing with that reticle you were talking about in the night force. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're trying to group guns for an evaluation yeah yeah trying did, to shoot those little groups we did that a lot um so but as far as for hunting i mean i just uh, there's so many choices i think you just have to you have to pick one and as you see it as you see the glass because everybody's eyes different it has to be something you can use if you're not familiar with uh, um you know your dope if you're not familiar with uh, uh, dialing Uh, You know, you might want hunting turrets. Yeah. I think more important than the scope, the brand, the glass, is that you know how to use what you have.
1: Confidence. What do you – okay, so let's say you go on your elk hunt. Are you using a traditional, like, hunting reticle, or are you using something like a horse reticle?
3: I've I've done both. Yeah, Um, me too. I've used the H-59 with success. I've used – I use a reticle. Um I think we were talking about it earlier. I have a Zeiss. Yeah. An older Zeiss that has the uh um has a ballistic reticle in it. So you you know you lock you enter all your information into the Zeiss website and it gives you your holdovers and Oh really? So, they have it yeah. on the Zeiss web? Oh that's mm-hmm. cool. So, I didn't even know that. So my dope card that's on the rifle is based on the reticle. Yep. Uh Rapid Z Reticle, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of that. uh huh. They have a Rapid Z six hundred, a Rapid Z eight hundred.
0: But and you you know how it is
1: on. like there's all these different versions mm-hmm. but I mean my feeling is you get something that you like and you know I mean in reality at the end all you got to know is somewhere in that what that mark translate that to a yardage you arrange right. something and you shoot and if you're going to shoot far practice being able to identify some wind characteristics to bias your shot
3: yeah you, you just you know it goes back to knowing your gear yeah. Uh, know, know thyself, seek self improvement. You know that army yeah. jargon. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Um, you, if if you, you know if you want to shoot long range and you want to shoot an animal long range, it starts out with the bullet. You got to have a bullet that has terminal performance. Yeah. Right. You're not just poking holes in paper. That's right. You know if you're shooting thousand yard silhouette, maybe you don't need a hunting bullet. You're shooting for fun, right? Yeah. Um, so you are choosing your bullet, and you're you know do you know how to use the range finder? How does that correlate with? Uh, the optic you have, you know, are you going to dial it? You're just going to have a, a crosshair with a dot. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, knowing your equipment, it goes a long way versus, yeah. uh, you know, do I have the $3,000 scope or the, the $800 scope? Money does come into the effect of clarity and, and cutting the glass, and um, I, r- I realize that, but... Um,
1: it's like I started out, I learned on the horse reticle, so I thought that was the stuff. And then I had to learn to dial, and some of your guys, like, you know, then taught me that after. And I go back and forth now. And and we were talking last night, like, I actually like to dial for elevation now, but I like having the horse reticle to hold for wind. Um, 100%. Yeah, and that's kind of like what, and and it'll probably be different in the next couple years, but that's where I'm at right now. And I also... You know, it's it's nice to have the Swarovski or the High End Leopold or anything else that costs a lot of money, but our, our buddy Chad he got a um, he was w- using a
2: Vortex, wasn't he?
1: No, it was right on or right or what? It's some new. Oh, I've
2: heard of that. Yeah, and
1: I think it's probably like made at the same place like the Vortex mid grade stuff is made. But that was a one to eight that was a lit reticle that was retail three hundred and fifty dollars, and my man with a sixteen inch six five was making consistent hits at 1,250 meters with that. That's, that's
3: amazing, yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: it. and it's like a scope that costs less than the ammo we shot in a day.
3: Well, you know, the thing, the lower, you know, all the brands that have their, their tiered marketing, yeah. you know, like uh, take, um, you take that scope you were talking about, you know, the the Mark series with Leupold, and then you yeah. have the VX series, and then you, and you have the Rifleman series, 3 x 9 by 40 your classic. Yeah. You know, who doesn't have a 3 x 9 by 40 Right. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, that was the only scope twenty five I mean, years ago. My thirty thirty <clears throat> my thirty thirties, you know. That's what I started out on. Three by nine by forties. Um, even back to the old Leupold fixed powers. Yeah. You know, the four I think it was a fixed, yeah, a range fixed four, right?
1: Well they had a fixed four and then yeah, like the, the Mark Four 10, was yeah. the fixed ten for yeah. a long time. But I mean
3: reaching back to the sixties. Their first oh, six-power yeah. scope, yeah. little Four.
1: tubes. Yeah, so we get all hung up on, and, like, I love if I'm trying to shoot groups dialing in and having as much power as I can, you know, but what we realized last week, and I think a lot of the guys that were less experienced realize is, like, you can make shots at a 1,000 yards of the six-power scope. Sure. And six-power, you think, like in World War II, what guys would have done for a, a, a optically a, a great scope, with six power it would have been a game changer for a lot of snipers in world war ii and and now like we think of that as uh, like 100 meters um well, but you I think know th-
3: i think the difference is <clears throat> you know with those one to sixes and one to eights uh if you've got good light you don't need the the higher end scope you know yeah i think the biggest that i've seen the change in um the higher end lines of all these different uh competitors or brands that we're talking about you know, and, and and the way they make the glass and the, the light-gathering capability. And, you know, when it's when it's that early morning or that late evening, you know, the magic hour when the animals are moving, that's where that extra money comes in.
1: It is, and especially yeah. as you get to be our ages. Exactly. Yeah, that early morning and late afternoon, it gets dark faster for us. And, so and every, it's more important everything's to me moving.
3: now. Everything looks like a deer or a bear. You know. Yeah. Bear stump.
1: So or, you, you got, I I love, I know I got a good optic when, it's 100 meters and I'm looking at it and I look through my my scope and I can see it 10 times better that's a good feeling but you know the idea too you, you know we talk about being you know like magnification whores. like I want to dial up the 30 power well when we we're in Wyoming the last couple of weeks you know it, it was in the 90s most of the time like you're not using above like 12 or 15 power, you can't see anything because of Mirage.
3: Yeah, it's, it's blurry. I mean, yeah. you can't see anything.
1: Yeah, so there's all that. All right. So, fixed or folding? And I wrote this and then I realized this applies to knives and firearms. But, you know, I was thinking knives. Well, I, uh, what's your opinion on those I, I two? I carry
3: both. So, yeah. I've got my folding right here, you know, for cutting chores, super fast cutting chores, but also might be wearing, you know, a high end fixed blade on my hip. Also, um a lot of times I'm wearing uh if you've seen some of the um you know how the hunting gears went where you have everything on your chest, it you yeah. mimics mimics a combat rig. Yeah. You know, so I got my bino's here, it's got a concealed pistol uh pack behind the bino, my rangefinder pockets here.
1: I don't have this one with the pistol situation. Yeah,
3: they're really good. Uh e- why e- you need that if you're e- carrying a rifle. Eberly stock. Well you yes. always you always gotta have a backup. One uh two is one, one is none. Yeah so carry a body um but um on the knife thing um you know uh, I, I want uh, i want the ability just to pull my pocket knife out but i also might need that fixed blade for some heavier work because yeah. you know your pocket knife isn't going to get inside and uh, uh if you're trying to cut the ribs out of an elk i don't want to be up and you know, reaching up in there with something that's not locking so if you're carrying like the old style case you, you may want to have a fixed blade on hand too yeah. Just like the the knife I gave you, you know. You um,
1: he heard I, that, Jay. I he gave me. He, 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 he didn't give <laughs> we us. Gotta get, we got well, we to get Jay one. No, no, <laughs> no, no, we do not. Absolutely not. <laughs> we well, well, Q can take care of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> the um, He crashed a drone. He gets nothing. I know.
3: But like on my pack, you know, my pack I carry. Um, I got it out in the Jeep outside. You know, I've got a Go Ruck pack. Uh, I've got my med bag on the back, you know, with the medical sign on it, my tourniquet and all that stuff and I have that right there strapped right next to it in the Motley section. So even on my bag, I've got a knife I can get to that's going to stay there. It's not going to fall out, you know. And you I, I've still got it on. Uh, I may have one in my pocket and one on my vest also. So I may have three knives.
1: I need to get that med kit. So when so Jay, when when Jay <laughs> makes me <laughs> cut him, I can <laughs> use that tourniquet and save his life too. It's not too. your
2: knife until you cut yourself with it.
1: Hmm. How about if I cut you with it?
2: And it's my knife. <laughs>
1: What are your uh what are your thoughts yeah. on 300 Blackout? Ever heard of it? Yeah. I've o- seen a it. little thing. I saw it once at Bandcamp. Camp. Yeah,
2: at band Camp. <laughs> yeah, at know, band camp. Um,
3: played with it a little bit. <laughs> um man, what a what a great question. I mean, I think it's it revolutionized the the AR hunting field. Yeah. You know, I know I use it all the time, you know, everything from hogs to whitetails. Um I even took it on my elk hunt last year. For real? In Colorado. Sure did. Yep, three hundred I, I black on elk.
1: Yep. I, I would do it within, depending on barrel length. I would do it within a was, couple hundred yards. I was probably. running,
3: I was running an eight or a, a, um, an eighteen-inch white oak barrel on a, on a gun that I built back when good I was at velocity. the unit. Back when I was at the unit, I was shooting, you know, some TSX. Some so Barnes yeah, the bullets. Barnes one tens that shooting, we did for that. Shooting Barnes bullet. Good bullets. bullet. Oh, it's a good um, bullet. I shot it and shot it. I've shot it on hog, uh, on on pigs and deer, East Coast. So I knew what it would do, um, and I had my parameters. You know, yeah. I knew what distance I wouldn't shoot, and and I knew from the past, like I said before, um, all those offhand shots I'd taken between uh, zero and hundred meters. You know, I'm like,
1: You don't need your short mag. I'm for like, that. why
3: wouldn't I take and try this out? You know, obviously you, you got to respect the animal and 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 not. Uh, violate your parameters on you know the shots I'm willing to take. Yeah,
1: um, But with that said, I mean, I, I'm with you. you got to be careful because, for me, people freak out. Oh, that's unethical. But, you know, I've probably killed more animals than a lot of people. And, you know, being in developing that bullet for that cartridge and everything and testing it on a lot of animals, sure. human size and bigger, there's nothing in North America with – you're gone with an eighteen inch barrel I can't kill with that.
3: I, I agree with that statement. My um gosh. the e- the ethics of hunting is within the human, it's when the within the individual. Yeah. So I can't stand when somebody says, Oh, that bullet's unethical. I said, no, it's not. It's like the same argument with the handgun, you know, what what what's evil? It's the hearts of man that's evil, you know, a criminal with a with a with a weapon. Um so yeah, I'm like the the bullet, you know only the hunter can be unethical.
1: Well, I, I love that unethical statement cuz then it's like, okay, let's go watch nature is metal or something or the videos like Right. You know what's real unethical on an elk? Like watch a grizzly attack one. Right.
0: Or <laughs> like,
3: or, or look at the num- wolf? look at the Rocky Mountain uh, Elk Foundation stats after the reintroduction of the wolves. Yeah, like they, they watch a pack of wolves get on an elk. They almost decimated the Montana and Idaho. Yeah. Herd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, two, yeah, now in two, hunting in is two difficult. to four years. The numbers were just drastically reduced, and they were, a lot of times they were just you know there'd be carcasses found with you know they just killed them,
1: Yeah, just kill them or they just eat the ass off of them or yeah. like some little minor part, but um yeah that's real I agree it's real self righteous of people and they want to start dictating other people's hunting because you know if if you talk about like an ethical perspective of you know killing an animal so then you want to dictate what cartridge well that doesn't matter. Like what bullet, what range? There's all these other things, but I always go back to it. And you know, it's 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 like when I got uh, Ivana into hunting, and you know, she loves you know, like a lot of people, and I think like we do, even as hunters, loves animals. And Same. to her understanding. Then I have to teach her well conservation, and she's you know brilliant woman, so she understands these things. But you know, it's ignorance until someone shows you. Like you of just course. don't know, and then there's that, and it's like. Well, I don't know if I could do that. And it's like, okay, well, watch this video of this grizzly attacking a mule deer.
2: Yeah, they don't die of old age (laughs) in the wild. Like, everything in
1: the wild pretty much gets eaten alive. Yeah. Or sick
2: or, like, falls off a cliff or something. Like, there's no good death for a wild animal. Well, and it's individual
3: individual responsibility. You know, people want to dictate how you live and see things, but they don't want to take that individual responsibility. You know, I yeah. take that responsibility to make that decision for myself.
1: Well, it's tough. You, you know. know, I mean, I I know as much as you hunt, and I and I would think I don't want to speak for you, but I've hunted a lot and I've made mistakes. You don't always get the perfect shot. You don't always make the right decision, and it sucks. It sucks when you wound an animal. It sucks I, when you don't recover something. I've I lost like
3: sleep a over a shot that I thought was you know I could have d- made a better shot. Yeah, could have could have. Uh, uh, you know, taking the animals sooner, quicker. Make, mm-hmm. Maybe had to f- have follow-up shots. Yeah, I'm all about one shot, one kill. You know, I, I like Carlos that Hathcock. theory. We all love it, and yeah. and but that's I don't not, like tracking animals. That's not but always reality.
1: No, it's not. It's not. But yeah, being prepared for a fast follow-up shot,
3: yeah. and that goes back to training.
1: Training. You're right, um, because a lot of times, I mean, for for most people. Like if I post that i I shoot a gims Buck at five hundred meters with a sixteen inch six five like I'll get some criticism people that are pissed at me'll dm me about it I hear you like maybe a three hundred one mag with a twenty inch barrel barnes bullet would is better in that situation, but also like in that situation at Gims Buck I shot in Africa, I shot two times, and I bet those two shots were within one and a half seconds.
2: Yeah, I've pushed a second shot because I thought I needed it and I didn't, and I regretted pushing the second shot. I mean, it worked, but I shot it far back and punched it a little bit and opened it up and it was not the best of days. Yeah,
1: I mean, it happens. It's never never a good feeling, but it's still probably the best death that animal could hope for.
3: Well, like when I went to Africa, my biggest concern was, um, well, what are we going to do with the meat? I'm thinking, okay, we're going to hunt, you know, plains game at high altitude, spot and stalk fruit, you know. Uh, free range hunting, yeah. and then that was my first concern, you know, because yeah. you can't bring it back. No. So th- when they told me, you know, um, well, we're gonna, do, you know, we're gonna get a cut, uh, we're gonna cook it every night, and then we're gonna disseminate it to the rest of the of the of the villagers, the workers on the farms, yeah. and they're gonna they're getting something from that. I was like, well, and that's great.
1: Yeah, you know? I, I mean, I I think. And I don't know if I told you, but I said it on the podcast, you know, Crusader Safaris in South, well, they do Southern Africa, but primarily they're based in South Africa. It's a family-owned business, and they own hundreds of thousands of continuous acres. And similar
3: to the, I went with Matabula. Matabula. Same, up the, you know, based out of South Africa. We went up the Eastern Cape. Yeah, so so
1: their main property is also on the Eastern Cape. Yes. But it was, you know, they do cattle and sheep. And um, you know it's it's about six hundred and fifty thousand continuous acres, and they have a hundred employees, so there is nothing that goes to waste when you shoot an animal there because like whatever you don't eat while you're there, that's what feeds all of their employees.
3: That's the same thing, uh, same experience that I had. Um, all all the the actual uh, you know the workers. I don't know if they were day workers, but some a lot of them lived on the farm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had their own um, you know their own outbuildings where they where they lived during the work season, all the food extra went to them. Yeah. And that was – they didn't have the means to go on the hunts.
1: Oh, no. You you know what I mean? Yeah. with I'm not going to get into all the different laws and –
3: you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They weren't afforded the opportunity to go out and hunt the animals. And it, this was... But they're reaping the benefits from the hunters that are coming through there. Yeah, and
1: those are the yeah. best... I mean, they're the best meals we'll eat all year, it's, so they're definitely it, the best meals they're just, eating all just year. Just
3: like in America, you know, Hunters for the Hungry. Yeah. I mean, what a great program. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, you know, touching back on, on the 300 blackout, you know... um, you have? The, would you hunt uh, with your 44 Magnum, or would you take the 50 meter shot? Well, why wouldn't you take that with a 300 blackout on an animal? So when people, I throw that up. Yeah, like, people don't really understand. Le, I mean, let's talk velocities. Let's talk terminal performance. I'm like.
1: Yeah, the Connecticut energy on target. Ener- energy on target. Because we we talked about this when we were out in Wyoming. Shot placement. Shot placement is a big thing. Key. Shot placement and bullet. Selection, hundred percent to me, and then understanding that with okay, what barrel length because you need a certain velocity for the different projectiles to work. Uh, but you know, this is interesting that just blew my mind, and, and I asked the question to the engineers when we were out there because I thought I knew the answer, but I just never thought about it, just ignorant, you know, just never really even crossed my mind we're shooting the eight sixes, so our new cartridge. Out in Wyoming and the Subsonic, the three hundred grain Sierra Match King bullet, subsonic, so it loses so little velocity from muzzle to a thousand yards. It's more energy on target, a subsonic at a thousand than three oh eight supersonic out of a sixteen inch barrel at a thousand. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, like
3: Yeah, that kind of that kind of blew my mind when you were telling me about that
1: yesterday. <laughs> we talked about it for what yeah. an hour. Yeah, that supersonic slows down a whole lot, and then it's half the weight of this bullet, and this is a long, heavy, pointy bullet, and the momentum's a thing, and that thing's not slowing down a lot. You know, it's 1,000 feet at the muzzle, it's 850 or whatever on target at 1,000. Like, it's losing very little of its energy. But, you know,
3: like like in your testing, somebody has to do that. Somebody has to be willing to, to envision that. That can, you know, that can be something, um, you know. Uh, the naysayers who, who were, were kind of round roundabout talking about they they don't get that, well, that get somebody's it. out there discovering this and thinking about it. You know, they just want to point the finger at you and and
1: you know how it is, man. There's haters and and I yeah. would say uh, your group within the army. You think about every time, which was just about every day, you guys want to do something new hadn't been done within the you know parameters of, of your job description. And you guys are developing technology nonstop and pushing the limits. And how many people are like naysayers and haters? Oh, that's ridiculous. It's not gonna work. Okay, why not? How? I mean I mean, these are the people that really develop new technologies. Like okay, explain to me why it's not gonna work. Like, have you done it? And yeah, people rarely have an answer. But you know how it is. It's all it's windy at the top. There's always haters. There's I mean, everybody wants to be negative. It's so easy. Um, But, yeah, I mean, for us, it's like we're trying not to let our pride get in the way. It's, you know, we developed 300 blackout in conjunction and four special operations. And then, you know, and, and I told you last night, and I've talked about this before, you know, Ethan and I, before 300 blackout was even adopted by the military, we were working on the big brother to it for 308 and we're just now getting around to finishing it up
3: see i mean even even with me working um when i was still active working on you know you with the 300 blackout and those early early years of that formative uh formative time and that being a military you know a military applied cartridge i had no idea you know this was uh this was coming about at the same time
1: yeah yeah i mean if remington hadn't been so stupid we probably would have had it out six or seven years ago um but it's all right but you you know one thing the time allows us maturity and we learn a lot from working on other things but then also having the experience of 300 blackout like what would we do differently and then it's super exciting to me and it's easy for me to get motivated and passionate about it because oh god now like we learned this about fast twists we learned this about subsonic expanding bullets and how they can open we learn you know you just go on and on and on and all the things that we learned and we would do different if we could do, you you know, with, uh, the wisdom of retrospect, what do we do differently about 300 blackout? And we have an opportunity to do it now. Oh my Lord. I mean, this, I'm so excited about this. You know, it's like whatever else, like what's your favorite thing you've ever done? Like, hopefully it's the next thing. That's right. And that's what we're working on here. You,
3: you, You know, you can't, you can't rest on your laurels. You know, you gotta, you gotta look to the future, man. You gotta, you know, if if you're if you're gonna be, I think if you're gonna be successful in anything, if you're not looking, if you're not looking down the road, you're you're just uh, you're, you're fooling yourself that something's just gonna come up and yeah. dump itself in your back pocket. And, oh, look what I found! It, you know, you it, have to you have to look, you have to you know, you have to have vision yeah. to, to see uh, 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 what 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 you're capable of. You know, if you're not looking down the road somewhere. You know, it's like with the knives or with the guns yeah, or with the bullets knives. or all the people we know that work in uh, industry and all the different, you know, everything we like, you know, guns, yeah. bullets, ammo, or uh, um, camouflage, uh, equipment, TSE items.
1: It's all the stuff. I yeah. love innovation in all of it. Of and, and to me, I think one thing where I'm excited, you know, w- w- with your previous career, you know, it's Finite like there whether it is because and, and to me it's the the physical element combined with you know like the passion and you know like the you, you know just your um you know like the mental aptitude the mature, like, like there's all kinds of things that go into it but a different part of your career compared to what you know i I'm able to do is there's not a huge physical part, you know, like when you're thirty years old and super badass in the army doing these things, like can you do that when you're sixty like probably not it's, you know it's tough i mean yeah. there,
3: there's guys that push it past fifty Billy Wall it's amazing, but, but they you know it's it's that's a very rare crew, you know,
1: but you know I mean usually when you guys retire is probably just beginning the peak of my career. Because I don't have that, you know. It's like mine is just really a lot of thinking and then going out and testing stuff, and there's not the physical part of it. Because I think about that with a lot of you guys, like how different it is, and that being such a large part of my life for so long, working with you guys. And then you retire, and, you know, guys choose different paths after retirement, you know. And you do training, and you do the knives, and you're still in the industry, and a lot of the guys do that. But then some of the guys, you know, go and do completely separate things. And for me, it's like... I get to have, you know, hopefully if I'm fortunate, like a 50-year career doing the same thing. So how many hours do I get to do that and and get closer to trying to be an expert in my field? Um, So I feel fortunate in that way, you know, because I think it would be heartbreaking, you know, when you think about you guys just being – the best of the best and you're like, you're just in the mix nonstop. And then all of a sudden one day, you know, it's tough, you're not doing it.
3: I mean, you know, you don't think about it before you retire. You know, I've been retired for four, um, well, um, five years now. I mean, you just don't even, you don't think about stuff like that before you retire, but then it hits you, you know, Yeah. what, what am I going to do? Am I going to give back? Am I going to continue to, uh, find a way to continue um uh, you know working with guns in my hands and and what I what I what I learned in the military you know and like you yeah. said but some guys start cattle farms yeah and, yeah and, 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 and never so pick up a, a a rifle again except maybe for some hunting or something
1: yeah it it's so weird to me because you know that's kind of as adults Like, our work, uh, our vocation is kind of our identity for a a long time. And not saying that's necessarily who you are, but it's how you're recognized and it is a huge part of what you're doing while you're awake. Like, that's what you're doing. It's your identity. And for that just to be, like, you retire, that's gone one day. And that's cool. Like, you're always going to be a part of that fraternity. But then, like, you're not there doing
3: that. A lot of guys, you know, um, I struggled with it. I know a lot of guys that struggle with it, you know, that, you know is that who I am, or is that not who I am? you know because there are many other things, yeah, so I think if you get wrapped around like for years, I thought that's who I was, you know my job is me,
1: and you have kids exactly
3: yeah. and and you're trying to you know you're either trying to explain it to them or you're not trying to explain it to them yeah. you know there's there's two schools of thought there too yeah um, but yeah I, I think if you if, if you um, um, if you don't break from that. There could be some issues, you know. You have to continue on doing what you're motivated to do. If that's go do a cattle farm, go do a cattle farm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, if that's continue to stay in, in the industry and 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 train and impart your knowledge that uh, you know you were you were fortunate enough to yeah to be given or earn however you want to look at yeah, it. Yeah, that's all
1: interpersonal. Like you got to come yeah. to peace with those things, and we're I, getting deep with that. I think but everybody's different, but yeah. from my standpoint from being, you know, a vendor and on the outside and and working with your organization than you know, bigger army and military organizations right. overall, but seeing it's gotta be difficult because you start in the army, go to Rangers, then you end up where you were, which in almost everyone's opinion that knows anything, like you guys get the most respect, deservedly so you know just a, a whole tier above everyone else and and you know i would see um you know over the years working on different programs whether it was scar it was something where it would be like a white side program you know big socom program and your guys and some of your cousins are always at the meetings a few yeah, of you
3: you you saw you saw, you got to see the whole spectrum of, yeah of different organizations so that's actually and that in and of itself that's 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 a pretty cool well, the, uh, Yeah, but the
1: intermingling was what was interesting to me because, you know, I would deal with Big Army on some things, and I hated Big Army stuff because I just don't have the patience and I'm not looking at a 20-year time frame and who's making the decisions. And then I was ruined once I started working with y'all's organization because you have so many knowledgeable people that can act fast. We're going to get this shit done. We're going to test it. We're going to know. We're going to pick the best thing, and we're moving forward. This is going to be done in three months or whatever the thing is. and like. You know, you just got to commit to doing it. But what I would see in some of these meetings where I would go to these big big meetings for SOCOM or, you know, just military in general, and it'd be 30, 40 people in there. And then it would be a couple of guys from your organization, a couple of guys from John's organization. Right. And the respect that you guys got, you'd have like big army guys or, you know, kind of the white side guys running their mouths, trying to be like the alpha in the room. And you guys come in, don't say a bunch, but everybody shuts the fuck up. When y'all say something about testing or y'all say something about usage or what's important i mean it it was obvious who everyone looked to for leadership in the room and and that was part of it that I saw firsthand and you know like I loved um and that was an interesting part for me and I don't know how you, i mean you probably know that because you start in the army and you go to Rangers and you end up where you did and you know, you know it. Like th- there's probably very few people in Ranger Battalion that don't want to end up sure. where you did. But you
3: know, it, it, and it's th- the good thing about that is, like you you were saying, it, it's it, it was still performance based. Yeah, that's why I think that respect was there a lot of times, as you're referring to, was because they saw uh, the outcome. Like if we rapidly, if we had a requirement, we wanted something. You know, I won't get into specifics, but we wanted a gun. It could be done within six months to, to a year. Whereas maybe our brothers in the big army, if wow. they wanted a gun, say a new pistol, it took maybe seven to eight years.
1: Yeah, I mean it is interesting seeing so I, I how they start a program and when it ends people no one's there who wasn't there in the beginning right. and a lot so much gets lost in translation and people add and subtract and you end up with a lot of times a that's not viable. And sure. that's not what I saw within your organization. You get it done, there's a there's a reason you're doing it, you tested this and the people are still involved.
3: Yeah, that's definitely why. That respect I think a lot of times came from they saw the project we worked on, they saw the rapid Um, the rapid acquisition of that product there was a requirement the requirement came from the bottoms up not some general telling us hey you need that let's start a program because my buddy's company who used used to be a retired general is going to sell us that product not that that happens but (sighs) hypothetically but that respect in in that part of the world you know the the acquisitions world and and, um, as as far as weaponry goes a lot of that came from that they saw that it was a bottoms up requirement it was for the fellas the fellows were the ones that acquired it. They tested it, they worked with all, all the motivated guys like yourself and, and the other companies out there, you know, the Knights and uh, Leupold or, or, uh, yeah. or any of the optics companies that, you know, every company would submit us something for whatever the requirement was.
1: It was interesting that you guys were able to make the best choice. And sometimes, you know, you have a product, but you also have a company and an organization and like how easy is that company to work with? how committed are they to sure. this innovation? how important you know and that all those things can play a factor
3: but in the end um, that referring back to what you know started this conversation the respect would be because they knew we didn't pick a product because of who owned it or I can or, testify or the, or to the name it. behind it the product had to fill the requirement and be tested by us and we picked the best Product, product that that met our requirements it was nothing uh, nothing other than that and i think that's what garnered the most respect yeah because they knew we weren't we weren't um
1: um we, yeah, we you weren't we, biased we couldn't, be,
3: we couldn't be picked at we weren't biased yeah you couldn't the,
1: be bought couldn't be picked at exactly because i mean i will say i lost contracts that i should have lost and i won ones that i should have won and then winning those um you know we won them against companies that all the people involved were from your fraternity and they didn't get preferential treatment like we would win stuff over them and you know in hindsight now like looking back at several things we never lost anything we shouldn't have lost and we never won anything we shouldn't have won um and yeah that that says a lot there 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 was never a predetermined outcome and it is like hey here's a requirement here's what we're doing here's what you got to do to play and we're going to pick the one and it, it wasn't a oh uh, a surprise or here's the way we're going to do it whatever meets all these requirements the best is what gets the contract and that was fun that's good it's the way it should be merit it, this is okay this is a pretty <laughs> simple one aim point or eotech I've used both extensively. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um you have a preference now? I mean,
3: I'm I'm running uh I'm running, you know, the the CR the 123 sideways battery Eotex on a lot of uh a lot of stuff, but I also am you know looking at going back toward like the um I like the iBox on the aim points. You know, I like the I like the like the um like the Comp M.
1: Yeah. You know,
3: which was a um a very popular product in late nineties, early two thousands, you know, in the in the range of battalions and, and it trickled down to the eighty second and a lot of your infantry units. Um I think I'm thinking about the right, the comp M yeah, three. It's yeah, M two, M three, the
2: M. Yeah. No you know, yeah. there's
1: a thing cloners now. Yeah. And Jay's part of that community. Okay. Where they build like all the popular guns. That. So like the during the nineties. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yep. Yeah. But and that yeah. I, I, all this shit I, I should have saved I, I, if I'd ever dreamed this would be a thing. oh, I know you made a second fortune
3: <laughs> but i i think i barring the um you know the reticle issues that that uh, were in the we're in the trust tree here right mm. <laughs> barring the reticle issues you know that uh that um eotech had you know probably. What year was that? Well, that's probably
1: that your organization where they had uh, the batteries shift. that were parallel with the bore axis. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, shaking up. That, yeah, and the then they ones. went perpendicular. Well, was the big
2: army order. There was
3: some... Yeah, there was thermal was that, shift.
2: 14 or 15? Yeah, there was the shift. Yeah. yeah, it was like 5 to 10 MOA shift. Yeah, that was
1: somewhere oh, around what... I didn't even know this. Yeah, yeah.
2: they fixed yeah. it, but it, I wanted to say it was It not like with
3: ours, but it was with big, big military.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my understanding was they were always... I mean, they're not as bomb-proof as Aimpoint, but the the EO with the circle and the dot was always faster. I I, th-
3: I that you know that whatever the MOA of the circle is, and, and then your your um your ability to have that different you know that dot in the center, I, I think that helps a little bit with uh, with a CQB distance you know acquisition of a target and um, versus just you know one dot inside it's the It's harder the to two. find
1: takes longer you know my that, eyes work l- funny too that
3: larger dot for the majority of shooters uh guys that I train they pick up that larger circle and then it draws their eye to the center and then you know they're superimposing that with eyes open both yeah. eyes open onto the target yeah and and they're making the shot um it, it, it's 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 nanoseconds almost once a guy trains up uh, um say with uh, an, an optic that just has a a single dot whether that's a two you know two MOA, three, six, whatever dot is in there. So. But, yeah, we
1: talked I, about earlier that 25-foot roll or whatever it is. Yeah. Split seconds matter.
3: And the, um, you know, I think it comes down to personal preference. I mean, yeah. I, I hope – I'm not trying to push that off that question, but um, I personally uh, – I run the EOTechs still. I, I've, I've, not, I've never had a single issue with any um, Holocyte or EOTech IoT product you know, that that specific uh, one of their products on anything. I'm not yeah. a fan of the. I'm not a fan of the three power. I'm not a fan of oh, that makes a dot the dot big of the fold. Oh, oh, Tom yeah. talked about it last week. Yeah. yeah, he didn't like it either. Yeah, but and I, me, I me think and Tom have talked about that before. Um, you know, when we were in the in the office together, um, uh, a company near near your area up here had developed a, a single mount for us that optimized the distance between the glass of the Eotech and the front glass of the magnifier. Think about that, because if you had the opportunity just to put it on a top rail, mm, you could split it up. You you could the the the, the person that wasn't in uh, uh, in the loop, I mean, you could put that thing a long way apart, right? Yeah, jack it up. So but there we did find out that there is an optimized distance that you should use. So the majority of the uh, the problems with uh, running a magnifier, you know, behind it three power. I think there were three. Um, a lot of your users never knew what that optimized distance was, so mm-hmm. you you had you I had, hadn't even you had about zero it. shift. You had, right? I guess you would call it a parallax issue. Yep. Um, yeah, so that led to yeah. the zero shift. Do yeah. I do I zero it with the magnifier and then flip it to the side and then I shoot everything after that? I mean, there's always that question. How do I zero it? Do I zero yeah. the hollow sight and then just use the magnifier as needed?
2: I think that was how it was intended, but I think people it, found issues with yeah. that because yeah. of what you're saying. It was with big that. issues. Seems yeah. like zero because yeah. you're going to be yeah. shooting
1: closer without the magnifier, so zero with the magnifier. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, but it does seem like your generation, once you guys helped to sort out the battery in line being a perpendicular yeah. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody goes for that. And then to me, the downside is it's probably still, but I've not had a problem with one ever, but less durable than the Aimpoint. And it's. I mean, to me, it's a little heavier. Well, like, I use the o a lot, but right now, like, Wilpold sent me that Delta Point Pro, mm-hmm. and, like, I, I'm not using it to, like, get in gunfights with. Like, I hunt with it and stuff. So, like, I love the super lightweight, delta point pro on it with just a little dot and you know i'm able to make shots at a couple hundred yards with it so
2: well the thing with the eotech too is that durability who knows whatever but the if for whatever reason you break glass on that window as long as there's a little bit on there you'll still see A reticle, whereas you can't with the, if you crack the glass with an aim point. Well, it
1: being encased, yeah, I guess that's a good point because you have an open, like, projector and dirt or stuff gets over the. Because it's a holographic. Yeah, it gets over that. Then you And another note
3: on that is you should always run backup irons. Don't tell him that.
1: I mean, it, if I were using it, <laughs> I'm, giving,
3: I'm, I'm giving him a jab.
1: I don't know. I I, I would say, l- let's say Kevin Brittingham's going on five to ten hits a night. Yeah. Okay, Kevin yeah. Brittingham probably using some iron sights. Yeah. Kevin Brittingham shooting pigs in North Georgia. <laughs> yeah. I'm She's not too a tree. I, I, yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I just change my battery out like once every few months. and. Yeah. If something goes down, then I just take it as yeah. it wasn't meant for us to shoot those I, I, pigs, Chad. I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent.
3: We ran irons because if I fell down and broke the glass, no. if, I'm a, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm in a fight, but your animals are shooting back if, at you. If I'm in a fight, <laughs> which a different if deal. I, if I'm in a fight, or uh, or you know, when we were in a fight, uh, it wasn't if. Um, you had all kinds of different things that could happen. You know, you're, you're in and out of vehicles, helicopters. Yeah. Uh, the enemy combatants don't want to be restrained, so sometimes you know you're you, you have to you know you're going to ground trying to get the cuffs on them, whatever. But you know your gear gets pretty beat up. Yeah. So We always tried to have a backup. You had your spare batteries, obviously. Yeah. You had uh, irons on the um, uh, on everything, so you know.
1: Yeah, and, and at our age, everyone yeah learned on iron now'm so now about in.
3: light if i don't need it i'll leave
1: it that's what i'm all about well let me ask you did did you do you know anyone that had um i'm not asking to name anyone or anything or incident but that had an EOTech or aim point uh like an electro optic fail in in combat or in a situation yes but you it know? wasn't
3: it wasn't a um it wasn't a failure uh of the optic itself it was you know uh an injury to it, you know. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was you know destroyed during the uh, during combat. So they had to use their irons. Oh, so them. they
1: did. Mm-hmm.
3: Until we, uh, you know, when you get back, you, you got five more of them in your box. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you put, put, a put a, you off. put a new one on it. You go out the next morning, you zero it. And but you're back okay,
1: there. so th- so that dude's real happy he had iron sights.
3: That's
2: right. Okay. Do you have a a normal or maybe it's different now? But wh- where would you? What distance would you? Zero your non-magnified optics, whether it was Neotech Holy or any point. I've heard cow. I've heard so many.
1: Okay, th- let's th- say it's a sixteen-inch <laughs> five-five-six. Let, let's th- make it easy. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah th- This Sorry. is
2: this
3: is um, in the classes we run. This question sucks up the first two days, of the actual <laughs> class. and that's usually what the. Air I get Force this. Guys. Co- yeah. uh, I love oh. some Air Force guys.
1: I get this question a lot with three hundred blackout is super and yeah. so. time. Is it a fifty-meter zero
3: or hundred-meter zero, or is it twenty-five or thirty-six? Well, if you use the twenty five, like the old army, you put up, you know, the army standards, you put up the, the zero target, which gives you a three hundred meter zero. Right. So you shoot the little bitty
2: the little bitty yeah. uh target, yeah. you know, to replicate yeah. a
3: three hundred meter target. Yeah.
2: That's what we qualified on. Right. right. Is the simulated
3: so, 300. Um when they when when the client uh if we're training somebody and they ask me that, it's a two day conversation. Hey, should we should we zero all these um red dots to fifty or hundred? Okay. So we have a whole whiteboard full of why for mm-hmm. each, you know, pros and cons, and then a whole whiteboard full of pros and cons for the 100-meter zero. Um, it depends on, uh, from what we've seen, you know, what length of barrel you're shooting, what, uh, what grain bullet. If I take a short-barreled rifle, say a 10-and-a-half-inch-barreled rifle, shooting a, you know, uh, a 70-ish grain bullet, that's, ish that's that's optimized okay and i do optimize
1: so so designed for short barrels
3: it, if i do a 50 meter zero is it back on at 150 or 163 meters you know what i mean when it's going through it's yeah. it's arc you know because bullets always fall you know, right. they're always going down because of gravity you, know, you always see those drawings and in the, in the pictures where it looks like the bullets you know it's never yeah, it's going like up your sights <laughs> above your bore people yeah. that's it, what's going it, on exactly so uh, we, we talk about that a lot uh, in that 50, 100-meter discussion. Um, you know, then we talk about uh, for your super precise shots. So then you're going to have a hold under. Right. If it's a super low-percentage shot, you got, you got a bad guy shooting at you. He's over there. He's got cover. He's got rocks, and he keeps poking his head up and his rifle because they don't aim, right, and he's just spraying at you. And you've got to take a super precise shot. Now you've got hold under and hold over to deal with. You, you know, you got guys at three hundred right. yards over here um yeah. fighting you from, from both sides. Oh, with this a, with, is getting
1: complicated. <laughs> with
3: with a hundred meters zero, this is how I explain it to the guys, and then we let them choose. Um everything's holdover. Because the minimal distance between zero and a hundred and and most bullets, the average shooter can't shoot that difference anyway. You know, it's it's within
1: Especially offhand during stress.
3: Yeah. So we kind of let them decide and that's just one or two of the
2: parameters
1: oh oh, that's interesting because yeah i mean the all hold over it's one thing to remember rather than two right yeah
2: there was a video going around for a while of a gentleman named sean ryan who was a a navy seal and he was maybe you've heard of them i don't know yeah they're navy seals yeah i'm not super familiar with them um and he was explaining with 556 five, a 36 meter, or 36 yard zero with the EOTechs. And basically, from what he was explaining, was everything from 36 out to 300, or maybe it was 500. I think it was 300. If it's within that circle, you're gonna hit yeah, it.
3: Yeah, they, uh, they've got the f- the n- the new name for it. The combat. Um, what's it called? Oh, um, Oh, this is a movement. There's a nickname for that, oh, I know that, for that whole genre of, of zero. Man, I've got to oh, tip another We'll, well, we'll you look, you look it up. Well,
1: with your AR-556, five, five, what's your zero? Depends on the barrel length. So your 10-inch barrel, what's done, your
3: zero? I, I've done a – i have done I usually roll with 50 on that, and then if anything, you know, 16 to 18, um, I'll do 100. <sighs>
1: That's exactly what I would do. It's it same, same, same. And also,
3: <laughs> are you, uh, you know – are you running um, an IR laser right. on there?
2: Parallel so or converging?
3: Yep, exactly. Now we just went parallel. down another rabbit hole. Yeah.
2: Parallel you know? JP, parallel boy. Yep. <sighs> well, yeah, I have to do that tough. this week, actually. And, and yeah. I answer
3: I answer that question, how far can you see with your night vision? <laughs> Most of the time, to take a shot and, and figure out if it's a foe, it's less than 200 meters. So do you have to worry about paralleling or the converging right. point of aim, point of impact? for the the you know the the hour laser
2: i'm here for some parallel converge my brain doesn't work quick enough but the first yeah. question
3: is how far can i actually shoot at night right and know if it's a threat
2: right for me not very far
1: all right so. um it is interesting because i'll get and i'm sure this is the same thing you get in your courses is um what's the effective range Oh, God. Okay, I need, like, nine <laughs> other things before I can tell you anything, buddy. Yeah. But, you know, the thing, easy for me to get aggravated, which probably you and you are more patient than I am, is, is it's, you know, ignorance. They don't know till they know. So you start explaining all these things, and it puts it out there. And then, yeah, you're right. you got to let people decide. So now you're doing training. You, you guys are doing some civilian training.
3: We, we did. We started um – we started a little over a year ago including some civilians and some of the stuff that we're doing um and it's on a case by case basis you know it's it's not the f- it's not the fact that we don't i don't want to train civilians to shoot um a lot of the guys are my friends that that I do train uh guys that I hunt with and then we have you know it's just harder to vet um a group of clients to receive the training that 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 I'm going to provide sure. It's just super hard. First and foremost, as with all shooting events, it's about safety. So it's hard for me to, because everything we do, everything I do is word of mouth. We don't, I mean, I don't have a website. We don't. You
1: don't even have a website? No. What's your facility called? Uh, The training facility in Tennessee is called Eagle Ridge.
3: Eagle Ridge. Eagle Ridge Outfitters. That's right.
1: And so, so you set it up primarily to do uh, military and fed training.
3: Yep. It's 220 acres. Uh, It's private uh there's no no day shooters coming in uh you know it's double gated one way in one way out um you know we have a um a department of defense safety document on the place you know an 18 page document Ugh. so Ugh. um and you have and it's just more more ammunition in your in your magazine you know when somebody yeah. asks hey is your place been certified well yes it has yeah um like i said you know it's about safety
1: so so most of your training there is um pistol carbine
3: that's right yeah we have um you know i think we touched on it earlier you know we do have the flat range but we like to joke oh the whole the whole place is a range yeah um similar probably like i saw some of the pics from your place in georgia years ago you know i I have a, a 300 foot mountain is my berm yeah, very similar to mine. I've got trails cut in it to where I can get the side by side. I can put eight, you know, eight pieces of steel in there, drive it out, set it up rapidly, create different scenarios, drive back, and we're shooting again. Yeah. Or you can walk to that. You know, you can do uh, fire maneuver, live fire, fire maneuver, which is um, you don't see that often. Like you were talking about, you know, not even be able to to draw your pistol in a lot of your indoor ranges. Uh, so we wanted to go the opposite of that. You know, we wanted I wanted to build a place uh, to where um, you know military law enforcement um, could come and train, and it would be realistic training. You know, yeah. the cover that we have is real cover. So I I bring con- I have concrete, you know, stacks of concrete with loopholes in them that you're shooting through around, um, you know, that looks like you know a big pile of junk in some foreign country. <laughs> That you would hide behind to take yeah. real cover. Well, not yeah, a, you don't
0: know
1: till you, you know not till a, you know.
3: Not a not a, a, a blue barrel at a three gun match. Yeah, you know because when you kneel behind them and brace up, they fall over.
1: Fall over, yeah. you get shot through them. All so sorts we, of things.
3: So we build. I, I try to build reality into it. Um, uh, like for the fire maneuver stuff, you know, we we have the lay of the land. It's a real patrol. Yeah, you know, you have you have trees to hide behind. You, um, and all of our barricades are real. You know, they're either made of concrete, wood, block, um, and we, you know, it's just, um, I just try to make it as as real as you can get in training. You can never make it um, like it truly is going to happen because you know you don't you don't know what yeah. you're going to face out in the world. So, but the thing about the civilians, you know, it's just um, it's just hard to vet uh, and, and get the right guys. Uh, that that you want to train you know
1: yeah and i, yeah. I could assume i, I mean I, I don't know your patient level and everyone's varies but once you get to the the level in the background that you have then going back to handgun 101 there's no i mean no way i could do it and you know i, I shoot one percent of what you do and there's no way i'm going back to handgun 101
3: well that's tough um but you know, the civilians I have trained are, are, are have all been um you know, vetted through um courses they've already taken. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, you know, they've already took handgun one point or carbine one point five and they're you know, and they're moving on, they're moving up. So, um I think this year, um we're we're gonna see a lot more of uh of some civilian training going on out there. For oh, sure. that's cool. Yeah.
1: Well, I know you got a whole lot more potential customers since uh, Biden was yeah. elected.
3: Yeah. If you ever and and I, en- I enjoy training the guys that we trained last year. I mean, they were all hard shooters yeah. and super motivated. Um, and, you know, the upside of training military guys and police officers, even when they don't want to be bo- motivated, somebody is there motivating them to yeah. train. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's kind of another thing with, with training, having a civilian course. I mean you hope they're motivated but is there really anybody in there anybody there to kick their butt if they if they if they get a little you sloppy hope they're
1: doing it voluntarily I, and paying you, you hope that Yeah I get it. But well, if
2: you need guest instructors Kevin and I put on the Love for the Streets course <laughs>
1: we, can, we can come in there